Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Saskatchewan's number one sports talk show is on. And now starting an hour earlier. Welcome inside the Radio Octagon. This is the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. Filling in for Michael Ball, here's Brendan McGuire. I love that intro. The Radio Octagon. It's got that, I don't know, WWE, MMA yeah. type feel That's to Al it. Murdoch, baby. He was doing the uh, the Winter Classic. Yeah, he does all those outdoor games. He does the uh, All-Star game. He's the man. He's the man. He's the best in the National Hockey League. Brendan McGuire and John Kleisinger with you on this Wednesday edition of the Sports Cage. Coming up, you'll hear from guests. John Hodge of Three Down Nation will give us the latest on what the heck is happening with McLeod Bethel-Thompson. Sounds like he's going to move on to the United States Football League. And also an update on the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and how they saw free agency in the Canadian Football League. Peter Labardius from the Calgary Flames Radio Network will join us. Boy, did I get a response after his last appearance when he revealed that he's doing broadcasts from the studio of road games. Uh, We've been hearing those stories, but didn't realize how much of it was actually happening. It's happening across the continent, man. All over the industry. It's the the hip new thing to not trouble with the teams. It sucks, but... I don't know if you're if you're someone who doesn't want to travel. It's maybe not the worst thing in the world. Like, com- l- listen, broadcasters, especially play-by-play guys. Let's be honest, love to complain, and I've been there, done that. You know, we're complaining that we're on the road too much and we're away from our families. And yeah, but yada, what yada, makes yada, a yada. good radio broadcast is the announcers being in the environment, hearing the noise in the background. It's and a better broadcast yeah, when you're there. Yeah, it's just a better broadcast. There's just no denying it. And even putting a mic into the stands isn't going to fix that. No. But, so we will uh, talk to Lou again on his weekly check-in. Uh, also, TSN 1200 radio host AJ Yakubek will come on to talk about the Ottawa Senators and my old roommate, DJ Smith, from our Windsor Spitfire days. And Arash Madani will check in as well. He'll give us an update to that brouhaha over soccer. But more than anything, I want to talk about the... Blue Jays. A lot of and Blue Jay stuff training. happening, yeah, man. A lot of Blue Jay talk to come on this edition of the Sports Cage. You can chime in, follow us on the Twitter handle at Sports Cage or on the Capital GMC Buick Cadillac text line 306 936 6262. You can call us toll free at 1 866 767 0620. The news of the day from the Canadian Football League McLeod Bethel Thompson saying that he's done with the CFL, at least for now. He's going to go and play in the United States Football League, and he's still seeking an opportunity in the National Football League. Now, Mac will be 35 this year. I'm, Doug, so, that, I'm, so, I'm sorry, Brandon. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say Doug Flutie was 35 before he signed, um, before he went back to the NFL when he signed on with the Buffalo Bills. Yeah. But McLeod, that was like 30 years ago, though. Well, and and um, more more than that, McLeod Bethel Thompson is no Doug Flutie. Let's be honest. <laughs> that too. 
you know, I understand him uh, playing for the New Orleans Breakers because I think him and his wife, his family live in Atlanta, the Atlanta area, if I'm correct. Correct. New Orleans is about seven hours south of Atlanta. Okay, so that checks that box. The box that kind of got me confused is the NFL talk. Like, let's be realistic here. I, I think it's a it's a good place for him to play football in New Orleans because it's close to home. That's what he wanted all along. It's not about getting back to the National Football League. If it does happen, hey, I'll, biggest supporter right here is Zinger, but I just don't see that happening. But uh, that's a good fit, I think, for McLeod Bethel Thompson, New Orleans. That's the closest team in the United States Football League to uh, Atlanta or wherever he lives in Georgia. So that's what he wanted, right? His wife has a good job. so Well, it doesn't check any boxes for me for a few reasons. Okay. You mentioned he's about a seven-hour drive from Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Pretty good chance he won't be driving. He'll be flying wherever he goes. Mm-hmm. So it's probably I was about, just saying that just to you know get it in your mind how close You're trying it to is. figure out, you're trying to justify it because there's got to be something there that makes sense and you try to put yourselves in his shoes mm-hmm. to understand why he would make this decision. But he's probably flying no matter where he's going. And Toronto has a much bigger international airport than New Orleans ever will. So I have to think that air travel from Atlanta to Toronto has to be as easy, if not easier, than it would be down to New Orleans. A couple hours longer. On a flight? Yeah. From Atlanta to Toronto compared to Atlanta to New Orleans? Two hours to Toronto? Yeah. One or two hour flight? I'm going to look this up. But... The the point is, I think it's negligible, the difference, if you're going to fly from Atlanta to Toronto or down to New Orleans, and having been someone who's never been to either of those two American cities. And also, quarterbacks in the USFL don't get paid like they do in Canada, Mm. right? Like the salaries are going up. They're paying their players more. Uh, Dave Naylor was tweeting and hitting alarm bells, mentioning that the average player, at least first-year player in the CFL, isn't being paid as well when you do the uh, currency conversion as the average first-year player in the USFL. That doesn't apply to quarterbacks. So if McLeod Bethel-Thompson goes to the Argos, he could in almost certainty, or with almost certainty, uh, fetch, I don't know, four hundred grand Canadian. You do the conversion, that's three hundred grand American. He's not going to get that in the United States Football League. And the other issue is, the NFL talk, I don't see that happening. That ship has sailed. And he might even be better. And I'm not even saying he's not good enough to be a starter in the National Football League. I think a lot of the CFL quarterbacks are good enough to play in the National Football League if they get the proper yeah, yeah, opportunity. Yeah. And he's that he's that drop back pocket passer that they love down there. So so I don't I, I wouldn't say that he's not good enough to play down there, but by the time he gets his opportunity, he's going to be 35 years old, and that right there will strike him off the list. Teams will not take him seriously. So it doesn't fit from that perspective. And then the other issue is he has unfinished business up here. The Argos were losing that football game at Mosaic Stadium in the fourth quarter when he had to come out. I'm not saying he didn't deserve to have his great cup ring. I think quite the opposite. He got them there. I think he was a terrific leader for the Argos. But he told us on the field, and he sassed me on the field for misquoting him right after they awarded the great cup, that he was never going to get on that stage or he didn't think he was going to get up on that stage. Which tells me that he still, you know, if he had finished the game, he would have felt good enough about it to go up and accept that trophy. 
Yeah, that's all understandable. But and I think in McLeod Bethel Thompson's mind, he is like, I think I don't have any unfinished business because I got a great cup ring on my table, baby. And one thing I just remembered, Mr. Brennan McGuire, the United States Football League, they have adopted this hub style for home games. Right. And the New Orleans Breakers, guess where their hub is? That's a good point. I never their, thought of their that. Their hub is in Birmingham, Alabama. Okay. And guess what? That That's is close two to hours Atlanta. and 30 yeah. minutes. That's like from here okay. to Saskatoon away from Atlanta, Georgia. That makes sense. So there you go. I think that's a pretty good fit for Mr. McLeod Bethel Thompson. I knew I was missing something in my mind because all these spring leagues, you know, they play here, they play there. But if things stay the same, I believe that... The New Orleans Breakers, they will be basing their home games out of uh, Birmingham, which is like two hours away from where he lives. They have a funky business model where they're saying it is not feasible to play in different locations, which is strange because the Canadian Football League found it unfeasible to not play in different locations when they talked about the hub concept. You can join in on the discussion on the Capital GMC Buick Cadillac text line. 306-936-6262 or call us toll free at 1-866-767-0620 no that see that makes sense as far as being able to just jump in the car and run down there that is a drive but here's another issue he was talking about retirement all off season because his wife is uh, Chinaka Hodge who that might not mean anything to many she works with Disney or something didn't mean anything to me either until I did a little bit of research on her but she is on um, she is one of the head writers for an upcoming Disney plus series called Marvel and apparently this is going to be like Amazing. I don't know if it's like Sopranos. Will my category? kid like to watch it? You think? Maybe he loves Disney Plus. Uh, just saying. To say it's going to be like one of the greatest series ever, it has to be in the category of the Sopranos. I don't know that Disney Plus does that kind of programming, mm-hmm. but you get the gist yeah. of it. But if if he has a playing opportunity and he can make three hundred thousand American. That'll get you a pretty good nanny, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would. Who could help help with the children. He can fly back and forth. They can sh- uh, throw him a little bit of extra travel allowance. Uh, the wife and kids can come up and it just watch him once in a while. Toronto's just, a trendy city. Yeah, People it, with money like to spend time in Toronto. The bottom line is it just all comes down to what McLeod Bethel Thompson wanted, you know, for not only his playing career, but also for his family and you can't look across the board in professional football and probably find a better scenario for him to get paid as a professional quarterback and be close to his family than with the New Orleans Breakers based out of Birmingham, Alabama, which is two hours down the road from where he lives. So car riding don't have to go through Absolutely understandable. Yeah. And if people like are gonna hate on McLeod Bethel Thompson because he's not coming back to Canada, well I think that's a pretty good decision for himself. I mean, think about it. He just in his mind, and rightfully so, I mean, he still had a part in the Argos, obviously, winning the Grey Cup. But do they win without Chad Kelly? I don't know. But he has a Grey Cup ring, and that's something that he can kind of like bank on when he looks back from, looks back on it 15, 20 years from now. Be like, yeah, my last year in the Canadian Football League, I won a Grey Cup. You know, here's my ring. And then, voila. Yeah. If it were me, I wouldn't have unfinished business. I'm just saying he's a different cat, yeah. and I feel like he's the type of person who will have unfinished business. Uh, quickly, because I know we've got to go to break. Yeah. Is this the last we've seen of McLeod Bethel Thompson in the CFL? Yeah, I think so. I think so. You, you don't think when the USFL season wraps up and if no NFL team comes calling, he would consider? I, 
I wouldn't say like I, I'm not inside of his head. I don't know, but he's scary place. He, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he signed with the New Orleans. Like he's gonna be with the New Orleans Breakers because he wants to be close to home. He wants to, you know. So, yeah, unless something changes family wise, unless so something on that front changes, like why would anything change? That just wouldn't make sense. Yeah, and if he says he wants to be close to home, why would he finish a football season and then just get on an airplane and come to Toronto? Yeah, but. I don't know. I, I, I it's would a great, love it it's a, it's a great loss for the Canadian Football League. I'm yeah, very, is. very sad, very disappointed. And I was, I was excited, and I'm still excited that we're starting to see different quarterbacks emerge mm-hmm. around the league. And just uh, opens the door for Chad Kelly, though. I mean, we're all excited to see him. I mean, he showed. Are we? It. Well, maybe. I think so. After the Grey Cup game, there's a lot of people that want to see him get a get a shot at it. I'm not saying that he's the next. Uh, you Jim know. Kelly, <laughs> yeah, and the next Jim Kelly. This this Kelly actually wins championships, um, but Ooh, we shall see. Oh, zinger <laughs> with a zinger, yeah, on Jim Kelly. Because that'll be interesting, though. John John Hodge from Three Down Nation will join us later on in hour one. We'll also hear from Arash Madani, Peter Lubardius, and AJ Yakubic in Ottawa. You are listening to the Wednesday edition of the Sports Cage on the Voice of Saskatchewan Rider Radio six twenty CKRM. Saskatchewan's best coverage of the Saskatchewan Roughriders is on the Sports Cage, right here on the Mighty 620 CKRM. Still ahead on this Wednesday edition of the Sports Cage, we will hear from Ottawa Red Blacks broadcaster A.J. Yakubek and also Peter Labardius from the Calgary Flames Radio Network. You can chime in on the Capital GMC Buick Cadillac text line 306-936-6262 or call us toll free at 1-866-767-0620. Still coming up in hour one, we will go to Winnipeg and talk to our Three Down Nation CFL insider, John Hodge. Uh, Brendan McGuire and Sean Kleising are filling in for Michael Ball for a few more days. And just before the break, we were talking about McLeod Bethel Thompson's retirement. And we're going to have more Scotty's talk on the show tomorrow. Brian Mudrick of TSN scheduled to join us. Retirement from the Canadian Football League. Yes. Yes. Not retirement from, from pro football. football. Yes. yes. Sorry. Thank you for clarifying. Yeah. That is a good. That is a good clarifier. The Pats, tonight, you will hear them play on 620 CKRM against the Medicine Hat Tigers, and this is a game they need in a big, big way. They are in a three-way logjam at the bottom of the Eastern Conference standings playoff picture. There's the 7, 8, wow. and 9 seeds. It's crowded down there, man. And uh, the Pats are going to, and sorry, I should say at the 6, 7, and 8 is where the logjam is, mm-hmm. uh, but... They're all at 55 points, the Pats, the Hitmen, and the Medicine Hat Tigers. And Swift Current's only two points back, and uh, Brandon's only three points back. So a lot of possibilities, some of them negative, uh, where the Pats could be end up very realistically on the outside looking in on the playoff picture. That loss in Prince Albert, where Zinger gave the Raiders all this bulletin board material. I did. Uh, that was pretty important because they're only six points up on Prince Albert. That was and a that was a big game. Not only for my ego, I wanted the Pats to win that one. Most important, most importantly, my ego. I'm not going to lie. I, I wanted the Pats to win that because if you missed it last week on the cage, I said that the Pats should quote unquote should beat the Prince Albert Raiders. Okay, that's not like a outrageous take, is it? Oh, well, I Pat- should do the dishes. That doesn't mean it's going to happen. Yeah, like oh, the Pats should beat a second last place or team in the Eastern Conference? Oh, my bad. Didn't happen. And, you know, so uh, 
Raiders won. Drew Sim had a tough night that night, which was unfortunate because that was the night after we chatted with him on the sports cage. But he bounced back good on Monday, 4-2 win against Lethbridge. So for some reason, though, the Pats, they struggle against these Medicine Hat Tigers. So, uh, yeah, we should win too. But I guess with that said, they're they have the same amount of points as the Regina Pats. So it's not like they're a bad hockey team. So, well, and uh, the Pats do have a game in hand, but. The thing that gets me is they seem to struggle against the teams where they've got to have it hmm. and beatable teams. If a team's right around where you are in the standings, like they play down game. to the competition, yes. if you will. Yeah, yes, I can, I can how, see that. How, how do you have a third period lead on Winnipeg, the greatest team in the country, bar none, that everybody unanimously agrees you are terrified of facing in the playoffs? Everybody says, well, you know. We're fine where we end up, just nobody wants to face Winnipeg. And we, I, we, we've heard that from the Pat players, we hear it from the talking heads, etc., etc. And how do the Pats go from not being able to beat Medicine Hat to be having a lead on Winnipeg? I know they blew that lead and they ended up losing, but when, when we went to the game, uh, my wife and my daughter went to, it's the only game we've been to all year, in the stands, where I haven't been broadcasting, and it was the... Sunday game at the end of January, same day as the um, NFL, AFC, and NFC championship games. And yep. I thought in my head, you know what? A lot of people sit at home. They'll be on the couch. They'll be watching the games. This will be the last game where they don't get a good turnout, and then we'll see good turnouts the rest of the year. Uh-uh. We showed up. Parking lot was full. And we get in. There's signs everywhere. Today's game's a sellout. We went in. Place was packed. And as I'm walking in around the corner, we can hear the horn, and we can see... Connor Bedard down on one knee giving two fist bumps. Serious? Like that was the first thing we saw when I walked around the corner. And then the Pats blew it. They had a 4-1 lead and they ended up losing 6-4. Who'd they play that? Medicine Hat. Medicine Hat, yeah. yeah last time that. Medicine Hat was here. Okay. So um, it was a typical Pats game. Yeah. Bedard blows everybody away, gets a hat trick. And I have all these crappy old hats that I'm supposed to get rid of and I forgot to bring one to the rink that night. And... Um, all the hats went on the ice, and the Pats lost. And so, I thought, that's a typical night at the at the Brent Center this year. Yeah, isn't but it? that that has to come down to coaching, doesn't it? Because obviously the the Pats have enough horses; they have enough talent to get leads on these teams and to beat these teams. And for them, do they? Well, going into the third period, they're beating the best team in the country. Like, why can't you just play a sound third period like you did in the second and first? You can come away with two points. So does it come down to coaching? Because I think they do have enough good players in their lineup to hang with these teams, right? We see glimpses of it. But what separates the good teams and the average teams is just that consistency. They do it for three full periods, baby. You know what I mean, Brennan McGuire? So I don't know. I'm not saying the Pats have bad coaches or anything, but it makes you wonder when they let these leads slip like this. I mean, I mean, come on, like say something to these boys on the bench or something. But then again, I'm here and uh, I'm not smarter than Mr. John Paddock by any means. So he's a great coach. We we hope we we hope to have Coach John on the sports cage tomorrow yeah. after the just game. Don't tonight. tell him what I just said. I guess. And 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 you will have the uh, game tonight. Dante DeCaria will broadcast on six twenty CKRM pregame show at six thirty five. Puck drop at seven from under the orange top. And you said that they've got the horses. Well, we know they've got the greatest player in the world, junior player in the world, and I have to believe they they have other good players other than just oh, Connor Bedard. Yeah. So Zeus Delev, you got a lot of great players on that Braxton team. Braxton Whitehead. Yeah, so so 
uh, Tanner Howe. They've got they've got some guys mm-hmm. still ahead. On Stanislav Svozel. Played in the, him, yeah. the World Juniors. Yep. Still ahead on this edition of the Sports Cage, we will check in with Arash Madani about Toronto Blue Jays spring training and also go to Ottawa to talk about the Ottawa Senators and the situation that they're in and maybe get a word or two on how the Ottawa Red Blacks made out in free agency in the CFL as well. And more than anything, I'm curious to hear A.J. Yakovic's take on Trevor Harris. Uh, his compatriot who works in the same radio station Lee Versage was on last week and was very skeptical about whether or not Trevor Harris is the answer for what ails the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. I'll be curious to hear AJ's take on that as well. You can chime in on the discussion through the Capital GMC Buick Cadillac text line 306-936-6262 calls toll free at 1-866-767-0620 and you can always tweet us, follow us on Twitter at SportsCage. You are listening Listening to the Sports Cage on Rider Radio 620 CKRM. It's 3.31 inside the Sports Cage. It's time for your sports ticker for Bronco Plumbing and Heating, where professional service is guaranteed. They will treat you right. All you got to do is pick up the phone and give them a call at 781-2090. All right. Well, the Toronto Argonauts are set to have a new starting quarterback in 2023. McLeod Bethel-Thompson informed fans on his Twitter this afternoon that he will not play in the Canadian Football League this year. He confirmed a report from TSN's Farhan Lalji that he will suit up for the New Orleans Breakers of the United States Football League this year. So the 34-year-old Enjoyed his best season in the CFL in 2022. He led the league in passing yards, 4,731, and made uh, or completed 387 of his 589 passes with 23 touchdowns. So the Canadian Football League will miss Mr. McLeod Bethel Thompson down uh, in the United States Football League. And hey, join NHL alums Sidney Daniels and Scott Daniels and more Indigenous sport leaders to spark a discussion on truth and reconciliation in sport tonight at the Saskatchewan Winter Games Culture Festival. It starts at 6.30, so right after you're done listening to the Sports Cage, uh, rip on over the University of Regina Education Auditorium. Admission is free, and take in an exciting night of festivities. Oh, Day Saskatchewan Rush report. Big time win for the Saskatchewan Rush on the weekend down in sunny California. Historically speaking, the Rush don't play very well in San Diego, but this time around, Saskatchewan picked up a 16-11 win, and the good old savvy Rush veteran Mark Matthews led the charge with six points, three goals, and three assists. Matthews right into things for Saskatchewan. One goal tonight for the all-time great University of Denver. Stings it for side. From the perimeter, Mark Matthews with his second. Matthews back to the point. Rings the top corner. Wow. My goodness. Grip it and rip it. Mark Matthews placing it perfectly past Shiliano's shoulder for his third of the night. 16 to 11 rush over the Gulls down in San Diego. So with the win, Saskatchewan sits at 5 and 3 on the season with sole possession of third place in the West Standings with a big home game coming up on Saturday night at the Sastel Center as the Vancouver Warriors will be limping into town with their 1 and 9 record. Russian Warriors, 7 p.m. Saturday at the Sastel Center.
Nobody covers your team like our team. This is the Sports Cage on the Mighty 620 CKRM. Wednesday edition of the Sports Cage. Brendan McGuire and Sean Kleisinger filling in for Michael Ball. Still ahead in hour two, we will hear from Arash Madani and also Peter Lubardius from the Calgary Flames Radio Network. In hour three, we will go to Ottawa and get some more opinions on Trevor Harris and what kind of quarterback he is and what he might bring to the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Follow us at Sports Cage is the Twitter handle. And you can also reach out on the Capital GMC Buick Cadillac text line, 30 Zero six nine three six sixty two sixty two, or call us toll free at one eight six six seven six seven zero six twenty. So the news of the day in the Canadian Football League: McLeod Bethel Thompson retiring at least for now from the CFL, signing with the New Orleans Breakers of the United States Football League. Now, it doesn't sound like the door is completely slammed shut, at least not yet, on a possible return to the CFL. Their season wraps up right around opening day. But he has said openly he's hoping for another crack at the National Football League. Seems kind of embarrassing to some of us that the league's leading passer is choosing to play somewhere else, not including the National Football League. But we'll get into that a little bit more momentarily uh, as we are to be joined by John Hodge from Three Down Nation. Also, um, big reaction to the news of Rob Vanstone leaving the Regina Leader Post to go and write for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders website. And when... He he was on this show yesterday, uh, or earlier in the week, I should say, on uh, yesterday, earlier in the week. I was trying to think of what day we're in. And he said that his phone uh, lit up, and he had so many texts and emails and calls, etc. And I had the same thing. My phone lit up right away. I had about four or five people asking, where do you think Vanstone's headed? And I said, I don't know, maybe he's going to go right for the Rough Riders, because I couldn't imagine him doing anything else. He loves it so much, and he said so in that chit-chat yesterday on air that he never plans to retire. And that's somebody who loves what they do in writing. But the question also came up, can he pull it off? Can he continue to have the same quality of writing he's had when... He's working for the football team. And I've thought a little bit more about it, and I think that if it was someone like me or even you, Zinger, or somebody new to the industry, I would say no. But I think it was somebody with the amount of experience to his name, and he gave a great response to that question. I think he can pull it off. Yeah. He can command enough respect. Do we have uh, our guest on the line? Not yet. Still Just working try, out? Just okay. trying to get a hold of the, the okay, kids, sir. So you can chime in on the discussion through the Capital GMC Buick Cadillac text line 306-936-6262 or call us toll free at 1-866-767-0620. Speaking of reactions, I had a lot of people asking questions about what Peter Lubardius said on last week's show about how he's broadcasting games as a color analyst from a studio, just the road games for the Calgary Flames. And that would be really hard to do. I did color for a year, and that's hard to do when you're at the stadium. There's a lot of stuff that happens behind the play, like if someone's stick breaks and it flies up in the air, or if the coach is choking one of the players on the bench, which happens a lot more frequently than people realize. That's something you're just not going to get in a studio. And I expect that in due time, this is something that will go away. It's kind of like when we talked to, to Glenn Suter yesterday about these um, 
sideline interviews that happen in the middle of XFL games and oh, how the, the XFL worst. well they 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 try to sell it as something that's revolutionary and it's not a new concept. This concept has been tried over and over before and in fact if you watch any of the classic Grey Cup games there's a lot of interviews happening right after a player scores a touchdown or makes an interception. They're not good interviews. The players are not interested in what's happening in the interview. In fact, they're rarely looking at the camera or at whoever's doing the interview. They're looking at the field, and you can tell that this thing that they're doing is just a nuisance. And it's probably a nuisance for the sideline reporters who should be keeping an eye on who's injured, what's happening, preparing for their halftime interview for when the coach walks off the field uh, from either side. And it's hard enough to get anything decent out of those guys while they're walking on and off the field. So I think they just decided somewhere along in the 1980s that, you know what? The players could live without this. The fans could live without this. The networks and the sponsors could live without it. So let's just scrap it. And away it went. And we haven't seen it come back. So if the XFL wants to try that and they say that it adds something, I'm fine with that because they do need to be different. I'm I'm probably a little more sensitive to the idea of some of the gimmicks that they're trying in the XFL than maybe our friend Glenn Suter, who uh, complained about uh, San Antonio getting 15 points on one possession in their game against St. Louis. The XFL has to be different because if they don't come up with these ideas that we call gimmicky ideas, then they will cease to exist as we know it. Um, Still ahead on this program, uh, we are going to go out on the Western Pizza Hotline with Arash Madani. But right now, we go to Winnipeg and are joined by Three Down Nation CFL insider John Hodge. John, how are you? I'm doing well, Brandon. How about yourself? Doing well. I was going to talk to you about the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, and we will. Uh, But before I do that, I'd be remiss if we didn't address the news of the day, which is the... um, departure of the Canadian Football League's leading passer last season to a league not named the NFL. A little bit of egg on the league's face over this? I, You know, if, if the circumstances were any different, Brendan, I would say yes. But this is a situation where McLeod Bethel-Thompson is returning from injury, right? He suffered a endo surgery to repair, I believe, was his thumb that he hurt in the Grey Cup game a couple months ago. And this is a family decision for him. He's 34, turning 35 in July, and his partner, Chinaka Hodge, no relation to me that I'm aware of, by the way, is a, uh, a highly ranking producer on an upcoming Disney Plus series as, as an exceptionally impressive career of her own. And so... You know, McLeod Bethel-Thompson is not somebody who needs to play football for the money. And he would have made probably in the neighborhood of $400,000 if he returned to Toronto in the USFL, where he's going to be playing for the New Orleans Breakers, he announced today. His earnings will likely cap out at around 100000 U.S. So he's taking a lot less money to be closer to home. But he had his first child with his partner uh, in 2021. And this is a family decision. He wants to be closer to there and and potentially get another shot at the NFL. To be quite frank, I don't think he has any realistic chance of of making the NFL at at 35. But, you know, the the dream never dies. And credit to him for for pursuing this. And I I don't think this is, you know, any sign of a max exodus coming for the CFL to these spring leagues. But 
evidently it's what McLeod Bethel Thompson wanted to do and more power to him. So let's play devil's advocate for a second. Let's say he goes to New Orleans, things don't fall his way, or maybe things do fall his way, and the NFL doesn't come calling, and he feels the itch to come back to Canada um, right around the time the regular season starts. Do you see the Argonauts making room in their quarterback room, or any team making room in their quarterback room, if McLeod Bethel-Thompson comes calling? Well, Toronto is the only place the club Bethel Thompson has ever played in the CFL. He, he first signed with the team in 2017, did have a cup of coffee that year with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. So I don't believe he ever signed a contract. I think he was just a rookie camp invite. That being said, I mean, he's, he's certainly somebody who's, who's close with the management there. The management in Toronto is very patient with him in his, his decision for this season. Um, you know, I, I and, and one thing I will say as well, and there are a few other, no marquee names, of course, but there are a few guys who are in the CFL this past season who have signed down south. Let's remember that the USFL season ends in June, and the XFL season ends in May. And so if you're a player who wants to get NFL film and try to make the NFL in 2023, or at least get a training camp invite to the NFL in 2023, the Spring League is your best route right now, whether it's USFL or, or XFL, because... You can still sign in the CFL, right? If, if, if you're unsuccessful at garnering NFL interest, there's no reason why you can't play, you know, five, six games in either of those those fledgling leagues and then and then sign in the CFL. So in the case of McLeod Bethel-Thompson, I'd be very surprised if he ended up elsewhere other than Toronto, but, you know, he could certainly come back to the CFL if he wanted to. The only obstacle, of course, is the fact that he has been, you know, and, and made it clear in a statement today, being away from his family has, has been tough, and he'd have to do the same thing if he were to come back to the CFL. But never say never, I suppose. There's, there's always a chance he could come back someday. You're saying there's a chance. Chatting with our Three Down Nation CFL insider, John Hodge, on the Western Pizza Hotline. Uh, Dine-in, takeout, or delivery. Get it hot, get it fast from western pizza okay enough about all that racket uh the winnipeg blue bombers in the city that you live in um made a few changes at free agency and it was funny we had paul friesen on from the uh winnipeg sun and uh you know it it was almost like i was looking at everything through green and white colored glasses too much because i was thinking riders 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 and i said was it good that the Blue Bombers had the ability to stand pat? And he says, well, you know, I might agree with that, Brendan, but, you know, they did just add Kenny Lawler, and <laughs> and they lost uh, Greg Ellingson. There were some pretty big changes with Winnipeg, weren't there? Yes, and, I mean, at the end of the day, this is a team that's not looking to rebuild, of course. They've been a three-straight Grey Cups 1-2. They're looking just to tweak, and... I think one of the areas in which they felt they needed to tweak was that receiver spot. Greg Ellingson was excellent to start the year this past season. Then he got hurt, came back momentarily, left again due to injury. And then in the postseason, I'm not sure how healthy he was. It's possible that he wasn't 100%. But come the postseason, he was not nearly as effective. I mean, we saw in the West Final, the Bombers' offensive numbers were were somewhat muted in that victory against the BC Lions. And then the the offense kind of fell asleep right in that gray cup. There was some excitement in that fourth quarter, but Dalton Schoen was was easily the most popular target of the day for Zach Claris, who did not have a particularly strong game in his own right on, on that game in Regina. And so I think the Bombers were looking to say, okay, 
we need a marquee target for our star quarterback. We know that Kenny Lawler is that guy. In my mind, Kenny Lawler is the second best receiver in this league behind only Eugene Lewis. And the bidding for Eugene Lewis was obviously uh, very, very rich. And so I think the Bombers were smart to go to Kenny Lawler. And, and he reportedly took less money from Winnipeg than he was offered elsewhere. I do believe that. He's reportedly going to make in the neighborhood of about $260,000 this season in 2023. More than, than you know, you, you'd optimally pay a receiver. But clearly the Bombers feel he's worth it. And with Dalton shown on a rookie contract, they're, they're able to make those dollars and cents work. So... You know, not 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 an overhaul, of course, by any stretch. But they clearly addressed the position they they felt they needed to heading into next year, and we'll have to wait and see if if that is what is able to put them over the top and get them back to a, a great cup, not just appearance but championship this season. Is the big coup not just that they got Kenny Lawler, but they did it while also not having to lose Dalton Schoen or Rashid Bailey? Well, the Dalton Schoen thing is is just luck. I mean, he had at least three NFL workouts that we know of uh, that I was able to confirm with with my sources. He was evidently not offered a contract, one would think, given that that he did not sign elsewhere. That that being said, I mean, we have to remember that that Dalton Schoen is is already 26 years old, right? That's a little older than than most players kind of make the jump to the NFL. And the NFL has also already seen Dalton Schoen, right? He he was in camp with the Kansas City Chiefs at one point. Uh, he's not somebody like, say, uh, a Kean Schaefer-Baker or a Tyrell Ford, guys who are getting a lot of workouts, or in the case of Ford Sign down there, who are U sports guys. The NFL has never looked at them, and they're still under the age of, of 25. So the shown part is, is just luck for Winnipeg. I think that's gravy, because had he left, they wouldn't have had any cap relief, because he's, of course, making close to the league minimum as, as a player on his rookie deal, which is $70,000 now in the CFL under the new CBA. You know, as for the rest of the offense, I'll say this. One aspect that I think did work to Winnipeg's favor, at least when it comes to Kenny Waller, was their inability to get Drew Desjardins back under contract. Winnipeg was in on Drew Desjardins, former first-round pick out of Windsor in the 2019 CFL draft. For my money, the best offensive lineman in the CFL, certainly along the interior of the line, possibly anywhere on the line. He, of course, ended up signing with the Ottawa Red Blacks on a deal worth approximately $250,000 a year. So had the Bombers been able to bring back through Desjardins, there's no way they can afford Kenny Lawler. But they missed out on Drew Desjardins and were able to take that money and, and capitalize on Lawler. If you ask me, the best place to spend your money is always going to be the offensive line. But, you know, Kenny Lawler is, is hardly a poor consolation prize. Best receiving core in the Canadian Football League, you think, at this point? Yes. Yeah, I, I do think so. I mean, Dalton Schoen can take the top off of the defense. Uh, I think Nick Dembski is, has become a, one of the one of the league's best red zone threats. He still didn't have 1,000 yards last year because he, he tends to get hurt a little bit, banged up here and there. I think he only played 14 games. And I don't think he's played 18 games in his, his entire career. If he did, he did it maybe as a rookie in 2015. But in Winnipeg, he's never played all 18. But um, he has such a nose for the end zone. I think he scored a touchdown in six straight games this year. Like, obviously, him and Zach Kolaris are, are really clicking in the red zone. And then you've got, you know, Kenny Lawler. Again, absolutely sensational. He can do it underneath. He can do it over the top. He can win contested catches, jump balls, those, those types of things. And then Drew Olatarski, you know, he's your solid possession Canadian receiver. Doesn't do a lot of fancy stuff, but but he's a great blocker. And then... Rashid Bailey is a great blocker as well. I, I don't think he was a great fit. He played boundary wide out this past year. 
I think he's better in the slot, right? He does a lot of that dirty work, staying in and blocking that, that a lot of guys don't want to do. And then, by the way, they've got Carlton Agadosi, who's only played a couple games in his career, but he's six foot six, and he torched the Calgary Stampeders at IG Field for two touchdowns in his CFL debut this past year before suffering a season-ending injury. So they've got four Americans who I think have kind of proven themselves, two of whom are stars, and they've got a nice rotation of, of Canadians, including Brendan O'Leary-Orange, who was a, a fourth-round pick a few years ago, had a really injury-plagued college career, but... I think is, has shown well when given an opportunity. So, to me, they are they are certainly they are inarguably one of the best receiving cores in the league, and I, I think you could make the argument for certain that they are number one. I almost wonder if we're seeing a bit of a remake in Winnipeg. I mean, who knows when that defense is going to start to age out? But um, it'll happen eventually. It always does, and uh, makes you wonder if maybe we'll see a sea change. I think kind of like the uh, Baltimore Ravens when their great defense started to age out. Uh, they were bulking up on offense, and I kind of wonder if that's how it'll happen for Winnipeg as well. You can read John Hodge's stuff at 3downnation.com. Thanks as always, John. Thanks for having me, Brandon. Anytime. Okay, that is John Hodge from 3Down Nation. We'll take a time out and have more of the sports cage after this. You're listening to Rider Radio 620 CKRM. It's time to step into the radio octagon. You're tuned to the Sports Cage on Saskatchewan Sports Radio, 620 CKRM. Brendan McGuire and Sean Kleisinger filling in for Michael Ball here on the Wednesday edition of the Sports Cage. Lots of hockey talk ahead on this edition. We will hear from Calgary Flames radio broadcast analyst Peter Labardius. And tomorrow we'll hear from Edmonton Oilers radio broadcast analyst Bob Stoffer. Winnipeg Blue Bombers, according to John Hodge, have the best receiving core in the CFL. I think that's pretty hard to argue with, wouldn't you yeah. say so, Zinger, with uh, the addition of Kenny Lawler? I guess. Pains me to say it. but Yeah, they're, they're, they got good receivers over there. That's all I'll say about it. I, I, I feel like their <laughs> DNA is slowly but surely trickling over to skilled players on the offensive side of the football. And again, the foundation of that defense, um, I always think of the three guys. Uh, Jackson Jeffcoat, Adam Big Hill, and Willie Jefferson. And I still think it's a travesty that in Grey Cup 2019 in Calgary that Harris got the most outstanding Canadian and most outstanding player. I didn't like the fact he got either, and I'm just being brutally honest, mm. but that was the year he got suspended. But MOP, I thought, was a travesty because um, – we sat up in the nosebleeds at McMahon Stadium, and we saw Willie J everywhere. He was all over the field. I know you're a big NFL guy, and um, it reminded me of years earlier when a few of us went down to the Metrodome before they torched that place. And uh, <laughs> Jared Allen? Yes, yes. See? You know. You get it. <laughs> but, but, but what amazed me about the Vikings for a year was how one player made such a difference on defense— Jared Allen, and one player made such a difference on offense. You can guess. You can guess. For the Minnesota Vikings, yes. Brett Favre. No, no. Favre was gone. Oh, don't tell me. Oh, Adrian Peterson. I knew you would get it. I wasn't going to feed it no, to you. No, no. And I couldn't believe, like, I've never seen a football. Because football is not uh, an individual sport. It's it's supposed to be the ultimate team game. Mm-hmm. And uh, I knew they wouldn't go far in the playoffs because you just can't. But I was just so impressed with how both of them carried their teams. And I felt the same way about um, Willie Jefferson with Winnipeg. Did I the Vikings like he... lose that football game that you went to? That's the most important question. They did not. They beat the Detroit Lions. So it, uh, it counts i guess but um but like willie jefferson he'll be 32 next season 
Um, sorry, I'm just quickly looking it up. Adam Big Hill, uh, he's 35 next season. And the other guy, Jackson Jeffcoat, who I think is the baby of the bunch, um, he's going to be 30. No, actually, he's older than Jefferson. Uh, he just turned 32. So, you know, these are three stars who are well into their 30s, and football is not a young man's game. And so I have to think, I'm not saying that they can't keep it going, but I have to think the DNA and the blueprint for how the Winnipeg Blue Bombers will continue to win I and win championships will have to change. hope they crumble. hope everybody sucks next year for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. This has got to be their last year. The band is going to be split after 2023. Zinger out. Not like Zinger's looking through the world through green and white colored glasses in any way, shape, or form. But I agree with what Hodge said. They might have been better off getting Desjardins, but it just uh, wasn't in the cards. Still ahead, uh, Coast to Coast with Arash Madani. You're listening to the Sports Cage on the Voice of Saskatchewan, 620 CKRM. Time now for Coast to Coast with Arash Madani. Our weekly chat with a guy who has covered it all. From Hockey Night in Canada, the Olympics, World Series Baseball, and everything in between. This is Coast to Coast with Arash Madani. And Coast to Coast with Arash Madani is for smart investing solutions. Don't guess with your money this RRSP season. Call Brian Gawley at Smart Investing Solutions at 546-2533. Brendan McGuire and Sean Kleising are with you in the sports cage, and we're very pleased to be joined by Arash Madani. Arash, last time we chatted, you were in a noisy soccer stadium down in Orlando with Canada's national women's soccer team. Uh in a great big contract dispute with the Federation over pay equity, uh, slashing of the budget, etc. Has anything come of that so far? Well, it is ongoing. And, Brennan, I will tell you that the players are not backing down from this. And, you know, Christine Sinclair was defiant. You know, even after losing 2-0 to, to the United States. And, you know, they, remember they showed up in those purple T-shirts that said enough is enough written on it. Yeah, it's about pay equity. It's the fact that they haven't been paid what they were owed from last year. It's the fact that it's a World Cup year, and as you mentioned, they're, uh, the Federation, Canada Soccer is telling the players, we're slashing your budgets. And there's, you know, there's so many layers to all of this, and Sinclair has said that if things do not change between now and April, and April's the next FIFA window where the national teams get together Canada's scheduled to play France overseas. Sinclair said we're not going to go. We're not going to play. And, you know, with the World Cup this summer, that's that's the moment. That's We'll see if that's a bluff. But if I'm sensing <laughs> if there's one thing we've learned about Christine Sinclair, she stands by her word and she is just a tad bit competitive. And she's called this the biggest fight of all. Have we heard any explanation from the Canadian Soccer Federation, like like why they can't give pay equity? I mean, Zinger and I kicked this around, and we struggled to really form an opinion or, or come up with a conclusion because we don't know all the layers about how the Federation gets its money, etc. Sure. Are, are we hearing a party line at all from the Federation as to why this would be a problem? Uh, the Canada Soccer has gone completely quiet on this, although today they did announce an updated advanced coach education program. So thank you very much to Canada Soccer for that. But one thing, Brendan, you just said there is very interesting. You said where Canada Soccer funding comes from. Now, in part, in part, as a national sports organization, 
some of their money comes from, drumroll please, the federal government. And the committee on the, the standing committee on the heritage of sport is now very interested in what's happening with Canada soccer is very interested on where the money from the reported 15 different corporate sponsors and partners is going. And when the feds get involved and they ask you to open up your books, that may not be a good thing for Canada soccer and some of the people involved in it. And Brendan, the standing committee on heritage and sport was the same committee that brought the now former Hockey Canada executives to our nation's capital, to Parliament Hill, to ask for some explanations on what the heck was going on with that national governing body. And um, so that that's, that's scheduled to happen next month, like in a couple of weeks, first or second week of March, uh, Canada soccer officials have been invited to come in. And this is what's interesting, is that if they do not accept the invitation, and you would suspect they would, but that committee has subpoena power. So they're they're on the surface. It doesn't appear that they're going to be able to skate away from this one. Sounds like they're they're going to have no choice but to play nice in the sandbox. Um, uh, I, I, I know open we open the books, right? <laughs> or open the books. Um, I know we want to get on to one issue, uh, another. Um, I, I, other things, but the other, just one last thing on the soccer thing. Um, yeah. I, I, I know that we're, th- we're expecting cooler heads will prevail before the World Cup, uh, before this really comes to a head. Uh, what do you think? Can you put an odds percentage wise, like 50 50 or whatever, uh, that this will impact Canada's participation in the Women's World Cup? Well, I don't think it's hard right now to talk about the participation. Um, front, but I would say this: I think it's absolutely impacted their preparation for the World Cup. Like th- this is a World Cup year; it's happening this summer, and in the, there's only two windows before the summer when they get together that there is a there is an opportunity to train together, develop chemistry, all those kinds of things, get into it. Once February, once April, and then it's effectively go time. Well, this. This whole past week and a half has turned into, you know, a real massive distraction, a self-inflicted distraction by the actual federation itself. Now, that is going to impact how they get ready for a global tournament. And people are saying, okay, well, that's in the summer and this is February. Well, when you want, like, these players play all over the world for different uh, professional teams, they don't get the opportunity to be around each other. And I think part of this, I think, you know, if there is a silver lining in all of this, Brendan, it's the fact that they are really united in this. They really are coming together as people in this and developing a trust and an understanding. But on the pitch, on the field, it's a different story. We will continue to watch that story with added interest. The Blue Jays are officially fully in spring training down in Dunedin, Florida, where after reaching the playoffs last year, there are even more expectations in 2023. Is it fair to put the Blue Jays as a real World Series threat at this point? I think so. I think so. And that's that's not the rose-colored glasses of blue-colored glasses of somebody who's been around the ball club for the last few years. I just look around the American League And I know the Astros are the defending world champions, but Justin Verlander is now in New York, and Yuli Gurriel isn't there. And, you know, it's another year older for the Altuves and the Bregmans and the rest. And 
defending a championship is real difficult. The Yankees, you know, they were on fire to start the year, but then kind of like they fizzled through the summer. I look at a young Blue Jay team that got better with its pitching staff, especially its starting staff, this offseason. And a team that had to walk before it ran, which it got to the wild card round against Seattle and, and onwards it goes. I put them right there in the in the conversation to win the American League. I'm not saying they're going to win it, but they're right there, you know, as a, as a legitimate threat to win the pennant. So, so Arash, the last many saw George Springer, he collided with Bo Bichette in the outfield during that wild card series with Seattle, and then he needed surgery on his elbow. Although that wasn't uh, related to the collision, but how right. big is a Springer to what the Jays? may do this season. How big is this piece of the puzzle, man? Yeah, I mean, his health zinger is so huge to all of this. When George Springer's in the lineup, the Blue Jays are a different team. He's their leadoff hitter. He's the table setter. Uh, You know, his glove is important. This is where it gets interesting. Already in year three of Springer, they're moving him to right field. Kevin Kiermaier's going to be the everyday center fielder this year. They're hoping that is going to lead to fewer... The, the potential of fewer injuries for Springer, who, who seems to be snake bit uh, when it comes to the injury front. But a healthy George Springer changes the entire look, dynamic, the face of, of what that Blue Jays offense is. If he stays healthy all season, it's so different. It's such a game changer for this team. And maybe the move to right field helps. Maybe the fact that he doesn't have to be the quarterback of the outfield, that makes a difference. And You know, we'll see, but Springer has yet to be able to be healthy for 162 since coming over to Toronto. And if he is, from everything we've seen from him, watch out if, if this dude can, uh, can be an everyday player. And Arash, I'm getting juiced up for baseball season, by the way, talking about this. But but, uh, you've often said it, it really comes down to pitching in a lot of ways. And this is a starting staff that, on paper at least, certainly got better over the winter, right? Well, yeah, they went out and got Chris Bassett from the New York Mets, a free agent, a vet, you know, giving him a bunch of money. And I'm really intrigued to see if Alec Manoa in year two is better than what he was in year one. And in year one, as an everyday starter, you know, I don't know about you, Zinger, but to me, he emerged as the ace of that rotation. Mm. Not, you know, ahead yeah. of Kevin Gosman and ahead of Jose Barrios, and those are two guys they're giving them more than $100 million in their contract. So you add Bassett, you wonder if Barrios can have some kind of bounce-back situation. If he does, that that feels like another free agent signing. You know, the, the, use, the Yusei Kikuchi equation is... It's still problematic. They're hoping they've fixed some things there, but until you see it, you don't believe it. Um, This is a better starting staff than last year. And starting pitching outside of Kikuchi wasn't an issue. So if they're better, that's a major step forward for the ball club. Arash, I read somewhere that everyone's in camp except Alejandro Kirk. What's going on with him? So his... uh, He and his... uh, I don't know if it's wife or girlfriend or fiance. They're expecting their first child and they're waiting and they're waiting and still no baby. And so they're down in Mexico still. Now, Kirk was scheduled, scheduled to 
play for Mexico in the World Baseball Classic. That's starting in the next couple of weeks. Uh, you know, John Schneider told reporters down in Dunedin today it's it's looking less and he effectively suggested it's looking less and less likely that Kirk is going to go to the WBC. So the time he's missing now, he's effectively going to get the opportunity to make up for it after the baby arrives, and he won't be going to the WBC. Instead, he's going to get to work with this pitching staff. And look, there's a lot of changes in baseball this year. There's the pitch clock, and there's a new balk rule, and there are new bases, and there's a lot to get. There's a lot of information to ingest, plus there's new pitchers you got to develop a chemistry and a rapport with. So all of those things are necessary and required, and so... You know, when Kirk arrives, there's going to be a lot of work to do. These players are getting soft, Arash. They're putting the birth of their children ahead of the good of the team. <laughs> the audacity. The audacity, The audacity man. of being a human. Hey, Arash, you and mentioned maybe the world, even a good dad. Yeah, you mentioned the World Baseball Classic. I was kind of just getting amped up for it, looking through rosters and stuff, and I was looking at Team Canada's roster, and... Uh, one thing that really, you know, shot out at me was, you know, Vladdy Guerrero Jr., he was born in Montreal last time I checked, last time I heard, but apparently he's going to be playing for the Dominican Republic. That's kind of a disappointment, isn't it, for Canadian baseball fans? Well, Vladdy may have been born in Montreal, but he was raised in the Dominican Republic. Mm. Uh, he's a he's a Dominican player. Hey, look, it's a good Canadian team. Yeah. Freddie Freeman is the flip side of that. Freddie Freeman, born and raised in the United States, but as a tribute to his late mother, who was born in southern Ontario, Freeman is going to wear the Maple Leaf again yeah. at the WBC. We're talking about an MVP candidate yeah. playing for Team Canada, and... I'm actually headed to Arizona next week to do a sit-down visit with Freddie, who has offered to us to make time to talk about this and talk about his mom and talk about the impact she's made. And I will tell you this, guys. There are very few MVP candidate athletes, regardless of sport, who say, hey, why don't we do something like this? That doesn't happen in sports. That's how much this means to Freddie Freeman to pay tribute to his mom and to wear the Maple Leaf in the World Baseball Classic next month. And an American superstar athlete who wants to be one of us at least some of the time. That's pretty cool. And I think that resonates with a lot of Canadians and a lot of our listeners. Never enough time, Arash. We'll talk again tomorrow. Thanks, guys. Okay. Thanks, Arash. That is Coast to Coast with Arash Madani. For Smart Investing Solutions, don't guess with your money this RRSP season. Call Brian Golly at Smart Investing Solutions at 546-2533. Time to break. We'll be back with more of the Sports Cage after this on Rider Radio 620 CKRM. Wins the faceoff. Blast Kulak. Doesn't make it through. Eventually. Racket it around. Here's McDavid. Comes home. Through Hart and into the back of the net. Connor McDavid is it's first lead of the night, three to two. So now six on four. Tie the game, D'Angelo. Across to Frost, a shot disappears into heavy traffic. McDavid has the empty net, lobs it toward the net, bouncing. What a play by McDavid! The finesse and the finish! 
Connor McDavid with goal number 43 and 44 of the season. The Edmonton Oilers take down the Philadelphia Flyers at home last night. 4-2 to the final, so the Oilers now sitting at 31-19-8 on the season. Connor McDavid, your sports cage clutch performer for Nick Service in Emerald Park. Your local Massey Ferguson, Challenger, Rogator, Gleaner, and Fan Dealer. Give them a call at 781-1077. The Kings of Saskatchewan Sports Talk. This is the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. Still ahead this hour on the Sports Cage, Peter Labardius from the Calgary Flames Radio Network will ask him about the Jonathan Huberto brouhaha that came up in the last week. His agent saying some, I don't want to say derogatory things, but less than flattering things about Daryl Sutter and the way he runs the Calgary dressing room. So we'll talk to Lou about that and a few other things. The also, Flames are down in uh, Arizona tonight. Yeah. Against the... Uh, Coyotes, Mullet Arena, we, Brendan. We've had uh, Lou on from Phoenix a few times, and a lot of broadcasters won't make time for us on game day. Lou always comes through anytime we ask. You were actually surprised that Vlad Jr. didn't play for Canada. I mean, I, it's always in the back of my mind. I thought maybe he'd give it a crack. He's totally Dominican all the way, so I don't blame him. But uh, that sticks in your craw a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah, that he not, doesn't want to make more effort. I'm not surprised. I'm just disappointed because we're talking about a guy, number one, he was born in Canada, okay? Uh, number two, he plays his professional baseball in Canada. And number three, this guy would have been the star of the team. I mean, it would have been him and Tyler O'Neill, the two big stars on, on Canada. Even if he just did it once, just humored us. But don't you think he'd face a backlash in the Dominican Republic if he did that? Mm, maybe, but they have so many great players in the Dominican. It's not like it's they only have one good player. It's you know It won't stick out as much if... It would be different if, you know, a, a Canadian player was a star and instead of playing for Canada, he was like, you know, I'm going to go elsewhere. So riddle me this. Um, sorry, I'm trying to think of a star. Somebody not too obvious. I was going to say Connor McDavid. If he decides he's going to play for Team USA. Yeah. I think that would cause a ripple, wouldn't it? It would. It's kind of the same thing with Vlad coming to play for us. But, like, but. at the same time, like, he is, he is like, Dominican, like Arash said. Like, he, he grew up in the Dominican. Uh, Speaks the language yeah, of he, the Dominican. Yeah, so he doesn't really even, like, speak English, and that's not his would fault. Be, it's just that's this the way it is. I'm would, just disappointed because I want to see Canada actually win a couple games this year. It seems like every year it's kind of a... Well, I think I think it was the last WBC where Ernie Witt said, until the Canadian players actually commit to playing in this thing, we're not going to have a legitimate crack at it. Mm. But Freddie Freeman, Freddie Freeman doing this almost makes up for all that. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And I don't know if there's too many other American stars. I like those stories of Americans connecting with our country. It's no different than when Cody Fajardo um, made sure that his son was born in Regina. Yeah. And uh, center fielder of the St. Louis Cardinal, uh, Cardinals, I already mentioned Tyler O'Neill. He's going to be a part of Team Canada. Well, Tyler O'Neill, he's going to be joining us on the sports cage on Friday, Brennan McGuire. Excellent. Confirmed. That's a pretty so, good get there, Mr. Producer Zinger. So I'm looking forward, Ballsy, or yourself, whoever's going to be in the chair. It's going to be a good show on Friday. Tyler O'Neill is going to be joining us. So well, He hit 34 homers in the big leagues in 2021, Brennan McGuire. That's a lot of homers. Well, Ballsy's scheduled to be here, um, barring any flight delays. Mm. So, if based on my confidence of the flight schedules these days, 
pretty good chance I'll be here, but <laughs> yeah. we'll see. Still ahead, we will hear from Peter Lubardius down in Arizona. You're listening to the Sports Cage on the Voice of Saskatchewan, 620 CKRM. All right, it's 4.33 with your sports ticker here inside the Sports Cage. Just three games in the National Hockey League tonight. The Winnipeg Jets visit Long Island to take on the Islanders. The Calgary Flames are down in the desert at Mullet Arena getting set to drop the puck against the Coyotes. And the Dallas Stars host the Chicago Blackhawks tonight. CFL report and hey there's no doubt that the receiving core for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders will look a whole lot different come opening day here's Brendan McGuire with the head coach of the Riders Craig Dickinson are we silly to worry about a team's receiving core that has two NFL worthy prospects who are both Canadian I'm talking about about Braden Lenius and Cam Schaefer Baker well, I don't think it's silly, but you're right. I mean, it's going to be a complete facelift uh, with that receiving group. So I do think Wenicke's going to jump in seamlessly and be outstanding. We we got high hopes for Sean Bain. We feel like he's got the ability to hopefully be similar to Swerve and that he's got that inside receiver position where he can he can get the ball on handoffs or he, he can run vertical routes and clear the top. So. We feel like both of those two are going to be good players. And Breskison is kind of an under-the-radar under sign. Not too many years ago, he was uh, thought of as maybe the best Canadian receiver on Calgary's roster. So, yeah, add in Lenius and Schaefer Baker. I feel like we've got a pretty good group. Um, we had a philosophy when we started in 2019, Jeremy and I, and we, we went back to that this year. And that is, we're going to invest in the offense and defensive lines. We'll do the best we can to, to find good, experienced, intelligent receivers that are tough, and then we'll figure it out from there. And that's what we've done, and I feel strongly about the group. I think we've got a good group. There's a lot of excitement about this uh, new offense with Kelly Jeffrey, and now you've got a, a, at least most of the main pieces that you're expecting to have in camp. Um, I know that there have been uh, there was a time when there were a lot of off season camps where the teams or some of the teams would go down to Florida and have mini camps. Um, I think COVID wiped all that away. Uh, at this point, and I know that Trevor Harris is big on reaching out to the guys, but what steps can you and your staff are you allowed to take to integrate these players, new and returning, to Kelly? Jeffrey's new offense. Yeah, there's not as much to do. You know, we can't do as much as you'd like, that's for sure. Um, we can have Zoom meetings, similar to what we've done over the years. Um, and we can try our darndest to get guys in the same cities and work together a little bit. I know Trevor's tra- planning on calling the receivers and trying to meet somewhere where they can throw the ball around a little bit. But yeah, we we don't have many camps. I you know hopefully we can get back to that at some point, uh, Brendan. Because I just think that's an excellent way to to connect with your players in the off season, continue to spread goodwill in the states about the CFL, and and get a jump on the season. But without those, I think the the best we can hope for is Zoom meetings, and hopefully Trevor is able to uh, convey some of this new offense to the receivers when they get together at some point, hopefully in April, and throw the ball around a little bit. Let's talk hockey with NHL broadcaster Peter Labardius. Nobody knows the game at all levels like Peter. From the Regina Pats broadcast booth to being a leading voice on Calgary Flames Radio, this is Peter's Puck. 
fitting that on a night when the Regina Pats will play on the airwaves on 620 CKRM against the Medicine Hat Tigers, we have the former voice of the Regina Pats, Peter Lubardius, joining us on the Western Pizza Hotline. And uh, Lou, I have to correct myself, something I said before the break, that we would go to Arizona to have you on. And then I smacked myself in the head and said, did you not listen to a second of what Peter said last week, that the games, the road games are being uh, done on a monitor? You have no idea how much of a reaction we got uh, from the interview that we did last week and a lot of people a lot of listeners didn't know that uh, you and many other broadcasters were doing road games on a monitor and the only note I'll say to that is um, a lot of people thought podcasts were better than live radio and uh, I quickly learned that there's an energy that you just don't get in podcast world that you do on live sports talk radio and so I have come back and uh, I think the world will get back to normal so uh, I hope that adds a little bit of sunshine to your world that at least there's one prediction that this won't last minus 30 with wind chill I'm feeling all warm and cozy <laughs> just hearing that from you yes you know what it, it what I will say is this um, I think Part of everything in our business these days is the fact, you know, we all assume in many ways, including myself sometimes, and I'm just reacting to, you know, how you started today, Brendan. And by the way, I really enjoyed our chat last week. I I came away and I went, yeah, this young guy's got it going on. I'm a fan. Um, But, you know, we live in a world now where technology has advanced so greatly and we have so much information at our fingertips that I think it kind of lends us to think that we know more than we probably do. No. <laughs> even Right? So even in these forums, um, you know, there is always an opportunity and, and for me, no matter whether it's a podcast, whether it's coming on this segment or my daily stuff is, you know, I think where people really connect is they connect with people. And, and our business in many ways has become, you know, more star driven than it ever has been. And there's value and there's big value in it. But do we care enough about people to mm. find out their stories, who they are, where they come from, you know, what makes them tick? What are, what are their jobs really all about? What goes into those? So it, it's, it's interesting that you had that reaction, um, you know, just based on, yeah, we, we all assume, and it's used to be done a certain way. And it, it's funny, I'll share this with you guys. Um, so a lot of people will come up that I see in Calgary and, and they're, they're still not familiar. And I'm at a rink or a sporting event pretty much every single night. And they'll be like, what are you doing here? Like, aren't you in Arizona? Uh, no, no, we haven't traveled since, since COVID hit. And, and they go, well, when I listen, I'd never know. And I just cringe. But, but, but because, in part, that's one of the reasons why. Right. The people aren't noticing it. It's like a, it's a double-edged sword. It's a compliment. It's a tribute to you and your crew that you're able to pull that off. But it's that double-edged sword that we're still missing out on, on what's uh, 
what can be added to the broadcast when you're actually in the building. Hey, listen. You're, we'll, we'll wrap it up quick, and I never do anything quick, but um, <laughs> you, you cannot do these jobs to the full of ability without being in the arena. And that doesn't even talk about the connections you make when you travel and being around it. It's, it's very different. But, I mean, what are you going to do? You do the best you can with what you're given. Well, eventually the cream rises to the crop, and if there's one outlet that will have people in studio, then everybody, or sorry, on location, then everybody will have to do it. I choose to believe that uh, things will fully get back to normal. I think that the uh, the pandemic taught us a lot of things that we could live without, but it's also taught us a lot of things that we miss out on uh, when we try to live without them. And uh, I, I suspect that what we've been talking about is something that, uh, that we will fully understand and broadcast companies uh, will get back to normal. But hey, maybe that's just the eternal optimist in me. Peter Labardius joins us on the Western Pizza Hotline. Dine in, take out, or delivery. Get it hot, get it fast from Western Pizza. Hey, listen, I need to ask you about uh, the Jonathan Huberto story that flared up a little bit. Um, his agent, I, I'm not a big tweeter, Pete. I don't know how much you tweet, but um, there was the quote from uh, uh, Jonathan Huberto's agent, Alan Walsh, uh, that said, sorry, I just had it in front of me a second ago, uh, but basically... Uh, indicated that Daryl Sutter was sucking the fun out of the locker room of the Calgary Flames. Uh, Huberto came out and said, that's not how I feel. I'm having fun with the Flames. And there were other people who have speculated that Huberto planted it to begin with. Um, is this just a sign of an agent stepping where he doesn't need to be or where he shouldn't be? Well, I think I think this one has a lot of layers to it. And so what I would say to you is generally when things are planted, they're planted with a purpose. Does that necessarily mean that if you take a look at Alan Walsh's track record, that even in the case of Marc-Andre Fleury and how things went in Vegas, I don't think he did his client any favors there. And in fact, I think the agent who I truly believe has a very special connection with his clients. And I think he does a very, very good job in that department. Um, But, you know, Alan's a very outspoken guy on social media. Um, Do I think that he brought up a point that probably has some real relevance of what I've experienced and felt with this team? Yeah, I don't think it's all a shot in the dark, no chance. Now, what you do with it, do I think Jonathan Huberto is that guy that would plant that? No chance. Known him since he was 17 years old, helping the St. John Sea Dogs win the Memorial Cup in 2011, the last one I got a chance to call. So I've known Jonathan for a long time. And Jonathan is a very caring driven, good teammate. And I think it's been it's been a big learning year for him with a very demanding head coach. And I think it's been difficult. And I think at times with all the outside noise in a marketplace and high expectations, I think it has been a very difficult year. And I think it's been hard to tie that whole group together. And it's also, though, been a group that has 
you know, put their fans on one heck of a roller coaster ride. One night they're good. The next night, not so much. Back and forth. Play really well against good teams. Not the best against teams that aren't really in the playoff picture. So, you know, chemistry is an interesting thing. The process, um, you know, I don't know if I've said it to you, but any way you look at it, if you're Jonathan Huberto or, or Mackenzie Weger, in a sense, you just came off your best years in the NHL, in the only place you'd known and in a place you'd love. That wasn't their choice. Bill Zito, in his own way, and the Florida Panthers fired those guys. Mm. Well, if you have ever been fired from something that you have loved and felt like you made a difference, it's probably going to take some time. Now, we look at it as fans and go, well, you make a lot of money. No, they're, they're people. And then if it doesn't start that well and you're in a Canadian market, which brings with, you're not getting this in Florida. I've been there a million times. It's different. Yeah. There's a lot of pressure here on a lot of people. Yeah, you know, it... The manager doesn't have a new deal. The coaching staff outside of Daryl doesn't have a new deal. Daryl's got a new deal. So, I don't know if that answers your question or not, but... No, I think so. Yeah. It seems simple. It's never simple. No, there's always a lot of moving parts, and in the sport that we follow the most here, um, of course, the Rough Riders, and uh, in football, you've got so many players on the roster, there's so many moving parts, and it's not a lot different in hockey, so many different um, moving personalities and, and whatnot. Um, the Calgary, for so many years, has had an NHL team that's been coached by one of the Sutters, and uh, I'm not saying that... Um, they don't have their differences. No, no two people are the same, and I'm referring to Brian, Brent, and Daryl. Dealt with, then in one case, worked for Brent Sutter. Right. So, so yes, philosophically, type of personality, similarities, but yes, not exactly the same. No. So, some some real differences there, and and it just seemed like when when Brent was the coach, um, at times there was a perception, whether it was real or perceived, that the players just weren't having enough fun. And, uh, and you know, now Daryl's the head coach, and, and I'm not saying, I'm not trying to tie this uh, as a connection from Brent to Daryl, although maybe I'm, I'm doing that, sort of. Uh, but, but is that what we're seeing pop up again? It's that Sutter, tough love, and maybe some of the players just aren't accepting it as well as they need to. Well, I think it's different. So even with the guys I was just talking about, I don't think they've experienced it before. Gerard Gallant was Jonathan Huberto's head coach and junior. He's a pretty tough guy, too. Oh, yeah. But he's different. Hmm. And, you know, it, like for all of us, including myself, okay, we all have a certain way and a certain type of way of going about our business to get to where we've gotten to and to be successful. Now, what I think gets missed sometimes is even for very successful people who have brilliant hockey minds is the one difference in covering sports my whole life that I would say to you, Brendan, 
is I don't think dealing with athletes even 10 or 12 years ago is the same as now. Definitely not. They come from a different place. Yeah. I think it's I think it's about generation. I think it's about entitlement in a sense. And you know whose fault that is? Pe- people of my age. And in a lot of elite areas in life, you probably can't get to high places unless you come from, you know, pretty good situations. So I do think there is a gap, and I don't think certain methods, I even know in my own job now, I've always looked at myself as as an experienced guy with great passion, um, always felt I was a pretty good mentor and a pretty good leader, but I find it harder for my message to get through to the younger people in the last five, six years. Well, well it, it's, diff- it's different. And I don't think, and, and maybe, and I'm not just trying to make it about myself. I just, I always try to, you know, when I get asked these questions, A, I look at it from the people side and B, If I can encounter that as a kind of old-school-type guy with old-school-type values, then why couldn't that come into play generationally in this situation? Yeah, it's it's remarkable how things change. I always think of Don Matthews. He was always an effective coach for so many years, and then his last year he went zero and eight. Times change. Uh, Mike Keenan had great success early on, then not so much near the end. I think of Corey Clouston, uh Did really well his first go round in the WHL. Did well in the NHL, uh, and over time he came back to the WHL and didn't do so well. And people told me it's not that uh, he changed; it's that the world has changed and players change. But uh, I know because. We're we're out of time. I'm going to end this on a quote that you said to me once on this show uh, about three and a half, four years ago, Peter Lubardius, and that is a, a quote from a friend of yours in Estevan. I don't know who gave you the quote, but it went something to the effect of um, change can be really hard even when it's good. And maybe there's some of that happening with Jonathan Huberto coming to the situation in Calgary and uh, having to play for a new coach, and he's still adjusting like we all do. Well, hey, that one, that wonderful woman um, was a woman in Estevan who I love dearly, named Brenda Santer. Oh, very good. I'm glad that you remembered that. Okay. And she told me that at 19, and I've never forgotten it. And I'm glad that. Uh, you went there because while the world has changed, that never has, and I'm not sure it ever will. And now you know the rest of the story. Paul <laughs> Harvey, good day. <laughs> Thanks, Lou. We'll talk again next week. Really, really enjoyed it again. Thanks so much. As did I. That is Peter Lubardius from the Calgary Flames Radio Network. Time to break. You're listening to the Sports Cage on the Voice of Saskatchewan 620 CKRM. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Sports Cage. Now back to the action on Sports Radio 620 CKRM. Still ahead in Hour 3 of The Cage, we will go to our nation's capital and hear from Ottawa Red Blacks play-by-play broadcaster A.J. Yakovic to talk about the Senators, maybe some candid thoughts on Trevor Harris and what the new quarterback in Saskatchewan is capable or not capable of doing with the green and white. And also, where are they now? Coming up at 5.30 for Floor Coverings International, Reggie Hunt, this week's guest. I'll be excited to hear that one. And I know Reggie, uh, I follow him on social media. He is an alumnus of 
of the TCU Horned Frogs, and they made it all the way to the national championship game. So always a thrill to hear what uh, Reggie Hunt has to say, one of my favorite Rough Rider players of all time. Uh, Brennan McGuire and Sean Kleisinger filling in for Michael Ball for a couple more days. And I remember when Reggie came to the Riders, and I don't want to spoil the where are they now. I'm sure they cover a lot of this. Uh, They had completely ripped everything apart when Roy Shivers came in and brought in this linebacker who had amazing speed by the name of George White. And he played two seasons here. From the Stampeders. Well, the, he went to the Stampeders later. Yeah. But, but he was here in 2000, 2001, and then he got a crack at the NFL, 2002. Yeah. And it was seen as, as this great big loss. And then this rookie nobody had ever heard of, Reggie Hunt, comes in and was even better. So George White gets cut by Green Bay. He comes back to Regina. He never could get his spot back. That's how good Reggie was. He beat out somebody who had a legitimate shot from the National Football League. George went on to have a pretty nice career with the Calgary Stampeders, but he was no Reggie Hunt. Mm-hmm. So He's no Reaper. He was no Reaper. So we will hear from the Reaper in uh, Hour 3 coming up. News is next. You're listening to the Wednesday edition of the Sports Cage on Rider Radio 620 CKRM. Saskatchewan's number one sports talk show is on. And now starting an hour earlier. Welcome inside the Radio Octagon. This is the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. Filling in for Michael Ball, here's Brendan McGuire. Coming up in Hour 3 of the Cage, you will hear Sean Kleisinger in conversation with Reggie Hunt in this week's edition of Where Are They Now? Uh, brought to you by International, or sorry, Floor Coverings International. And that'll be coming up a little bit later here in Hour 3 of the Sports Cage. I should remind you as well that you can chime in on the discussion through the Capital GMC Buick Cadillac text line. 306-936-6262. Call us toll-free at one 767 620 And uh, follow us or tweet us at SportsCage is our handle. Our next guest is somebody who I met very early on in my field of dreams as part of my sports casting adventure. I remember moving out to Windsor, Ontario to work on the Windsor Spitfire broadcast crew in the Ontario Hockey League some, I'm just doing some quick math, 17 years ago now, and I remember being horribly homesick trying to talk to somebody from Saskatchewan. I saw Barry Trapp one day in the media room. I almost kissed the guy. I was so happy and homesick. And uh, and then the next person uh, was our next guest, A.J. Jakubek, who had done some work in the SJHL and at the time was doing play-by-play broadcasting for the Ottawa 67s. A.J., who did you work for in the SJ? Give us the timeline of that. Oh, so... I was, uh, I'm an Edmonton boy, and when I graduated from the Northern Alberta Institute of Technology, actually it's before graduation, I had a four-month work experience in Melford, Saskatchewan at CJVR, and worked with Neil Shuchuk and Brian Munn, and it was a great place to kind of get my feet wet in the industry, because I was doing curling reports and Prince Albert Ra- Raider reports and uh, color commentary on uh, games in the SJHL involving Melford, Nippon, and Humboldt. So uh, certainly, it was one of the cold. I think it was the coldest winter uh, from January to March. It was, and I, look, I grew up in Edmonton, so it's not like I've never experienced cold winters. But it was the coldest winter in Saskatchewan in like 75 years, and it was 20 below for three months straight. There wasn't like a day 
amongst those first three months in 1997 where it wasn't 20 below or colder. So, anyways, uh, I love Saskatchewan, love my travels there in the Western Hockey League and CFL, and, uh, yeah, always uh, enjoy coming back. The crazy wind chills will surprise no none of our listeners, um, but it's it's funny we're talking about this because um, I had to go pick up my wife's car yesterday from a car detail place, and uh, she couldn't come, so I took an Uber to go get it, and the Uber driver just happened to be a guy I knew from when I broadcast in the SJHL, and he happened to ask, do you miss doing all that? And I said, well, of course I do, and, and the other thing is... Um, I think that people who work in small town radio stations in Western Canada uh, get put into really, I don't want to say hard, but complex situations. You have to take on some pretty important roles. And I don't think it's a coincidence that a lot of the most successful broadcasters started out here. Fair take? Yeah, I mean, uh, man, that's a deep take. (laughs) That was a loaded question. I'm not sure if it was a question or a comment, but... Uh, one of the things I will say about that is just opportunity, right? It's, I, I think the biggest thing about the Prairies is because, for example, the junior hockey teams and curling and, and other sports matter in those yes. small towns yes. that they're broadcast. So that not every team in the OHL is even broadcast, right? Like the teams that are in the greater Toronto area, I mean, they're internet-only type broadcasts, whereas... You know, like for, for a lot of people, a lot of the opportunities, if you want to become a broadcaster, work in sports, work in play-by-play, you, you get the chance to, to go to whether it's, you know, I went from Melford, Saskatchewan to Trail, B.C., to Kelowna, to Edmonton, to Ottawa, to Edmonton, to Ottawa, right? But <laughs> without those experiences in Melford and Trail, probably a lot of the other stuff doesn't happen. So I'm, I'm obviously very fortunate that I had the opportunity to get those experiences because it meant something in, in places like Melfort and Trail and yeah no doubt uh, a lot of great memories for sure although uh, I definitely prefer visiting Saskatchewan in the uh, summer and fall compared to uh, January to March. Yeah, we hear that all the time. Those for back home as well. Yeah, right in Edmonton. <laughs> no, we hear that all the time. Uh, Ottawa Red Blacks play-by-play broadcaster AJ Jakubek is our guest on the Western Pizza Hotline. Dine in, take out, or delivery. Get it hot, get it fast from Western Pizza. I think the gist of what you were saying is go someplace where you can have a role where it matters. And I heard Peter Mansbridge say when he retired from his uh, post um, that a lot of uh, J school grads want to work, you know, at the big network in Toronto right away, and he. He said, you've got to go out and you've got to get a little bit of perspective and you're not going to get it inside the 401 or the 905 or the 6, whatever they call it. Okay, enough of that racket. Agreed. Um, So alluding back to uh, that adventure I had in Windsor, I I think at the time uh, people would ask me, who do you think that you've got to cover in this league who's going to be a superstar or a star in the NHL? I probably would have listed off Robbie Shrimp, uh, Wojtek Wolski maybe, and um, Steve Downey, maybe because I was looking at it through Windsor Spitfire colored glasses. And none of those guys ended up being big stars. And there were a lot of uh, people who went on to bigger, better things that were right under our noses, including, at the time, a low-level assistant coach who was sometimes my roommate on the road by the name of DJ Smith, who today is the head coach of the Ottawa Senators. Um, You know, it never really dawned on me 
how he made it as far as he has until Bob Bugner was interviewed right after DJ got the Sens head coaching job. And he said, I've known DJ Smith for over a decade and I've never seen him in a bad mood. And it hit me that I think for so many years, what we thought was DJ's carefree um, attitude, which we all thought was maybe his liability, has actually turned out to be his biggest asset. Is that a fair take? Yeah, I, I think that's one of the things they talked about when DJ Smith was hired, that the exact same thing that you just talked about, that positive attitude, that energy that, that he brings to the rink each and every day. And I think, you know, if you're looking at strengths and weaknesses of what the Ottawa Senators have been over the last four years, one of the strengths has been this is a team that plays hard for their head coach. Like, no matter how bad things have gotten in in the last three and a half years and at times not this year so much but at times in the last three seasons in particular there have been some low moments they always battled for them and i think that's a strength i I think one of the concerns is can it get this team to the next level and i think we're seeing an improvement this year but we're seeing an improvement with a roster that includes claude Giroux, alex de and cam talbot here as well so the the question i think because the bottom line when it comes to the Ottawa Senators is there's going to be change here, and that change starts at the top with ownership. So we don't know what's going to happen. Probably by mid to late spring, we're going to get a pretty good indication of who the new owner is going to be. It's probably going to be Ryan Reynolds as part of the group at some point. I know he's aligned himself with the Remington group out of uh, Markham, Ontario. You've got uh, Michael Anlauer, who's an alternate governor with uh, – the Montreal Canadiens, an owner of the Hamilton Bulldogs that's a, a deemed to be a front-runner as well, some local groups, all sorts of different parties, apparently 15 different groups that are interested. So by the time everything is said and done and there's new ownership in place, then they're going to assess the situation. And I think everyone knows if this team misses the playoffs again, especially if they're, they're not close again, that you know it's going to be difficult to say, hey, Pierre Dorian come back after missing the playoffs six straight years as GM. Hey, DJ Smith, come back after four straight years of not making the playoffs. So this is a huge stretch for this organization, and in particular for you know the general manager and the head coach. And right now they're in a spot where seven teams are battling for the last two playoff spots. They're last on that list. They're two games over 500, and the, the teams in the playoffs right now are six and seven games over 500. Uh, so Detroit sitting in eighth right now, and I look at eight as points percentage. I don't look at it as points. I'd rather uh, basically have, you know, if you're one game back of one point back of a team and have five games at hand, which team do you want to be? You want to be the team with five games at hand. Uh, you control your own destiny. So from a points percentage standpoint, Detroit sits in eighth right now, and they've got two games against the Red Wings next week kind of feel like they need at least two or three points before that and it's not going to be easy because they uh, play Carolina next on the road and that's the second best team in the NHL and then you go to Montreal and you play back-to-back at home against Detroit because that was a rescheduled game from the storm a few months ago and you know then it's a trade deadline so Pierre Dorian has even said if this team basically goes out and wins like they go out and get six or seven points in the next four games, then at the very least he might not buy, but maybe he doesn't 
go out and sell assets. And I think if you're in that locker room right now, and some of those guys have been here a while, you think of Thomas Shabbat, who's been here for five straight years of non-playoffs, um, they don't care about the future. They care about here and now. They care about trying to get into the playoffs now. And so uh, it feels like these next four games are huge for the future of, in particular, the general manager and the head coach. But just seeing which direction this team might go leading into ownership change in the offseason. You know, I have to confess, I thoroughly enjoyed that Ottawa comeback win over Calgary last week, and some of that's just the uh, bitterness deep down that I have for the Flames because of the fact that my wife happens to cheer for Calgary. But um, early on in the year, I remember SportsCenter, their lead discussion or their lead um, topic going to Jay on right after Monday Night Football was the future of DJ Smith. Is it day-to-day? And I thought that the expectations, I'm glad that it's, all about getting in the playoffs and and we're not just thinking about the future anymore we're starting to think about the presence in Ottawa the present in Ottawa Um, but I thought that uh, a lot of people were putting a little bit too much expectation on the Senators because they had added Alex DeBrincat and and some of the other moves that they had made Um, do you think that the uncertainty of ownership maybe helped DJ Smith in the fact that Maybe they don't want to make any changes until this ownership thing gets settled. Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, I, I know this. They needed a good start, and they didn't get one. And they were 6-12-1. And, and at that point, I think if the general manager, especially in light of what they had done in the offseason, and this was never the finished product because what this team needs and has needed most is a top-four defenseman. The problem is those guys aren't easy to come by. There's so many different teams looking for top four defensemen and not enough that are out uh, on the market. The ones that are, um, you know, you just think of a couple of options, for example, that you hear in the last few days or in Jacob Chikrin's case, uh, the last couple of years. Well, the price is too stiff in terms of what you have to pay Arizona to bring in a Jacob Chikrin uh, for assets. Um, probably two first round picks and, and so, who wants to pay that? If someone uh, wanted to pay that, Jacob Chikrin would be a member of the Edmonton Oilers or Boston Bruins, mm. LA Kings, or Ottawa Senators at this stage. So uh, I understand why Arizona's holding out, uh, but at some point they're going to have to get off their ass. <laughs> and when it comes to, you look at Colton Pareko, for example, is another name that's been bandied about. Well, the cost might not be as much to bring in a player like Colton Pareko, but when you look at that contract and you say, okay, this is a player 29 years old and, you know, the last couple of years haven't been as good for him. Back problems. Seven years left on this contract at six and a half per. I'm not worried about Colton Pareko at his best because we know Colton Pareko at his best is a fantastic defenseman and a Stanley Cup winner. But if you're already talking about a potentially declining asset now, it doesn't mean going to be the case the next couple of years but if that back's a problem and it's a potentially declining asset now what's it going to look like in two years and four years in six years when you're still shelling out that kind of money so those are the types of defensemen right now that are out there on the open market it's not easy to go out and get those types of assets so in the meantime you're trying to improve things internally i think jake sanderson has certainly done that when it comes to you know coming into the league and immediately being a top four defenseman here in the Ottawa Senators, but they are one defenseman short. So, yeah, back to what you're saying. I mean, 
I don't know if it played a factor or not. I do know at 6-12-1, and one, you know, the Vultures were circling, certainly in terms of the fan base and the media, and uh, I think a lot of people wanted DJ Smith gone, but, you know, to his credit and the team's credit, you know, they've been pretty good since then. They're eight games over 500 since that time, and they've gotten themselves at least on the cusp into this seven-team race for two spots. So, um, you know, the, the question is, they've always started poorly under DJ Smith, and that's a real problem, especially when you look at who's going to be the coach next year. But a lot of people suggest that this is a team that's been good in the second half only because that's when the pressure has been off. Well, this is an opportunity to change that narrative to show that with a little bit of pressure on, with some meaningful games, that they can you know, play really good second-half hockey like they have the last couple of seasons. So that, that's why I think people here are really fascinated to see how this next four-game stretch is going to go and if they can kind of hang in there and at least give themselves a chance in the last 20, 25 games to, to stay in the race. Yeah, it'll be fascinating to see if uh, they can um, solidify DJ Smith's position there in the nation's capital long term. As being a radio guy, AJ, as you know, we never have enough time. Um, so I'll just ask 60 seconds or less. Can you give the good listeners of Saskatchewan any candid thoughts about how you see Trevor Harris, the former Ottawa Red Black quarterback, being the savior for the green and white? Yeah, I don't know about Savior, but um, I know my colleague, <laughs> Lever Sage, was on last week and put some cold water on uh, some of that. From Boy, did he ever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I like Trevor. I really do. Uh, you know, got to know him a little bit in his three years here, and I think, you know, especially when you look around the league, Nathan Rourke's gone. McLeod Bethel-Thompson uh, moving on to the USFL. It's not exactly a who's who in terms of the top quarterbacks in the league, and I think Trevor Harris is one of the better quarterbacks in the Canadian Football League. Have there been concerns about what he does in the red zone, for example? Uh, Leadership, sure, there have been. Uh, That's been well documented. But I think he's grown as a person. He's grown as a player. I think they got uh, a real good quarterback, a real good person. And um, Savior, no. But uh, is it an upgrade on what they had? Absolutely. So uh, I'm really anxious to see how this plays out all over the CFL uh, because, uh, again, we're not in an era when we're talking about Ricky Ray, Henry Burris, Bo Levi Mitchell, Mike Riley, and all these star quarterbacks. There's a lot more uncertainty amongst the stars, and uh, that that means opportunity for someone to go out and grab, you know, an MOP award that maybe wouldn't be there to them uh, five, ten years ago. So I, I I think we're in for a real interesting CFL season. Boy, I sure hope so, and I, I, I think you're right. We're not exactly going through a golden age of CFL quarterbacks, and it might take a little while for everything to flesh out. Maybe the USFL and XFL have to fold, but um, we will watch with added interest. If you want to hear A.J. Uh, Jakubik on the radio, find him at TSN 1200. A.J., great job as always. Thanks, my man. Yeah, you bet. Always a pleasure, Brandon. Take care. That is our good pal, A.J. Jakubik from... TSN 1200 radio in our nation's capital. Time to break. We'll be back with more of the sports cage after this on Rider Radio 620 CKRM. All right, it's 531 with your sports ticker here on this mighty final Wednesday. Uh, the Toronto Argonauts, they're set to have a new starting quarterback in 2023. McLeod Bethel-Thompson informed fans on his Twitter this afternoon that he will not play in the CFL this year. Uh, he confirmed a report 
from TSN's Farhan Lalji that he will suit up for the New Orleans Breakers of the USFL this year. The 34-year-old, well, he had a pretty good year last year in the Canadian Football League. He led the league in passing yards, 4,731, and he threw for 23 touchdowns. Just three games in the NHL tonight. The Winnipeg Jets visit Long Island to take on the Islanders. The Calgary Flames are down in the desert at Mullet Arena, getting set to drop the puck against the Coyotes, and the Dallas Stars host the Chicago Blackhawks. That is your sports ticker for Busy Bee Overhead. Busy Bee will repair or replace your residential or commercial garage door so you don't get stuck in or out catch the buzz busy b doors the garage door specialists pat chad is for the canadian brew house head to the cbh for the best saint patrick's day party in town and enter in to win a trip to ireland well it's game night for the regina pats seven o'clock puck drop at the brand center against the visiting medicine hat tigers it's getting closer to playoff time so playing some hypotheticals in our heads if the pats do finish in the sixth spot they would more than likely either play red deer or saskatoon so we asked the question of the voice of the pats dante decaria which team does the pats match up better against play the blades three more times over the course of the rest of the season um, I don't necessarily think they've had a level playing field against Saskatoon. The only game that they did, they actually beat them in January when Connor Bedard came back, and that was on even playing field because the Blades had played and the, the Pats had played the night before as well, so like it was essentially an even game. But the previous times the Pats had to play the Saskatoon Blades was like the end of a 3-3 three and three or the last game of a 4-5 and five or whatever it was. Like, you know what I mean? Like, to me... Like, the upcoming games against Saskatoon will probably give me a better answer on which team I think the Pats would rather face in the first round. But I will answer this. If the Pats do play the Red Deer Rebels, I feel they can beat the Red Deer Rebels in a playoff. And that's not saying the Red Deer Rebels are a bad team or a team that you can take lightly. They are very talented. They are built to win in the playoffs. But the Regina Pats have played extremely well against Red Deer this season. They've lost two games by one goal. And they beat Red Deer as well by a large margin. So they beat the Rebels, and they've lost the two other games by one goal, one of them coming in overtime. So they picked up three points over the course of the season series. And again, I think that bodes well for this Pats team. Last year, in fact, all four games were decided by one goal against Red Deer. Like, I don't know what it is, but it seems like the Pats play their best games against Leverage and Red Deer. And one of the reasons why I think that is is because they are a slower defensive-oriented team with good goaltending, whereas the Pats use their speed and can kind of outskate them. And to me, in a playoff series, especially when you get maybe a bigger body back like Riley Janelle, Zach Stringer turns it on, Ty Spencer keeps playing the way he's playing right now with four points in the last four games since coming back from injury, then this Pats team can definitely get some wins. And maybe it bodes well for Drew Sim as well because he's actually from Red Deer. He's from the Red Deer area, so that maybe gives him a little bit of shot of confidence. So, yeah, you know what, Singer? Actually, from just maybe thinking about it and talking about it, I, w- I would think the Pats would want to face off against Red Deer. I-, I like their chances in the first round against the Rebels. And, of course, that is if the Regina Pats can hang on to that sixth seed in the Eastern Conference. Not much separates sixth and ninth right now in the conference, so we shall see what happens. Big game tonight at the Brandt Center. Medicine Hat Tigers and your Regina Pats. Pre-game show on the air at 635. 
They're the names we speak with reverence or scream out loud. The names that help define us, inspire us, and build the game that we all love. Each Wednesday on the Sports Cage, we flash to the past with a legend to see if there is indeed life beyond the scoreboard. This is Where Are They Now? Where are they now Wednesdays for Floor Coverings International? Need new floors? Let Floor Coverings International bring their mobile showroom to you. Visit their website for your free consultation. One of the greatest linebackers in Saskatchewan Rough Rider history, Reggie Hunt. All right, so I'm with Riders legend Reggie Hunt on the Western Pizza Hotline. And, well, during the pandemic in 2020, the Regina Leader Post, they did a poll and they voted on their all-time greatest Saskatchewan Rough Riders. And uh, Wayne Shaw, a star linebacker from the 1960s, and he helped win the Riders their uh, first ever Grey Cup in 66. He was on the list. Eddie Lowe, a CFL All-Star and Grey Cup champion in 1989. Also in that list was a four-time CFL West All-Star, a 2003 CFL All-Star, and uh, a 2007 Grey Cup champion. I'm speaking with Reggie Hunt today. And uh, now uh, the Riders have been around since 1910, Reggie. So what's it mean to you when you hear that you're a top three Rider linebacker of all time? Man, that actually uh, made me smile a little bit, man, because I know how uh, big uh, that franchise is to that province and to that country of uh, the Canada, man, and to be one of the all-time greats. Uh, the Saskatchewan Rough Rider, man, that means a lot. It means everything. And I forgot to mention, too, now you probably get asked this all the time, but also in that 2003 All-Star season, uh, you set a CFL record at the time for most defensive tackles in a game with 16 and it's a record that stood for 16 seasons. I believe Simone Lawrence was the one who recorded 17 tackles in a game in 2019. Uh, what do you remember about that game? If I remember correctly, was it against Winnipeg? It was against it was just, uh, Winnipeg. I, I remember quite a bit of, about that game, but yeah, uh, it was uh, against Winnipeg for sure. 2014 Saskatchewan Rough Rider Plaza of Honor inductee Reggie Hunt on the Western Pizza Hotline. And going even more back in time now, if the timeline in my head serves me correctly, you played college ball at uh, TCU with LaDainian Tomlinson, right? Yeah, yeah I did. Uh, we, we happened to uh, spend three years at TCU together. Um, real, real close friend of mine. A uh, really good guy. Uh, kind of similar to myself, and um, he he's very humble, um, kind of quiet, um, more, just, uh, just a really good guy. So um had a lot of great uh, years with him at TCU. Uh, obviously, he had a lot of great years at <laughs> San Diego and uh, New York Jets, right? So I'm uh, very proud of him and uh, the accomplishments he has that he has for sure. At the time, you probably didn't think that uh, he would be a, a future Pro Football Hall of Famer because I don't think that really like goes through people's minds when you're watching a teammate and stuff in college. But what was it like watching and being on the same team as LT? Well, we actually played the same position for for a while, right? Yes. Uh, I got to work uh, in, in, in the same drills and, and, and all those kind of things together with him. We're, we're actually really good friends to this day, so... We spend a lot of time together. We watch a lot of um, mixed martial arts together and stuff like that. And still football and sports, and we go to some sporting events. But you know, uh, from from day one of meeting with Damian, um, always been special, special talent. Obviously, I uh, showed uh, all the way through his career, 
you know, as you get glimpses of some of the things that only he can do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I got to witness some of those things and practice uh, up close in person. So uh, just a special, special talent, man. And, you know, obviously one of the top five to ten best running backs in the history of the game. And, you know, um, I got to see him, you know, build up to that, build up to that. So Yeah, man, that's awesome. There's no doubt about it, like top top five back of all time, in my opinion, in the National Football League. Now, after your time at TCU, you went overseas and played a season in uh, NFL Europe League with uh, the Scottish Claymores. What was the vibe like out there playing pro ball on a different continent? <laughs> well, it, it was uh, it's obviously a really uh, much different experience and a yeah. different uh, experience that I would, wouldn't want to take away for sure. Um, I wouldn't have wanted to do it again, but yeah. it was a definitely uh, uh, an experience that I wouldn't trade for the world. I, mean, I was a uh, uh, signed by San Diego Chargers uh, during that time, um, and then then the offseason allocated to play in NFL Europe uh, to the advantage and got better with my skills and went, went back to San Diego. Um, but it was a, a great, great experience. I got to uh, live and um, life in Scotland over there, uh, Glasgow, Scotland, and travel around the country and uh, uh, continent of Europe, and it was great. And some studs were on that Claymore team. I think Dante Hall was on that team, star kicker yeah. turner for the Kansas City Chiefs, and also uh, Renard Cox, I believe. He spent time with the Jaguars, and then he had a nice career with uh, Hamilton. Those are the guys that come to mind. I'm sure I'm missing some, but uh, the talent level in NFL Europe must have been legit. Of course, it's two different games, but how did that talent pool compare to the talent pool in the Canadian Football League? Man, I tell you, man, we had a squad that year, man, and um, uh, this so happened. Dante and I was uh, the two kickoff returners that year, right? Nice. And him and I were the, the two long uh, kickoff returners uh, back deep, right? So um, it was. Uh, um, I got to watch him, and obviously. Uh, do some incredible things as well, right? <laughs> Obviously, you can do some <laughs> things with the football as well. So, you know, practicing against him, practicing with him, all those kind of things. Uh, you know, watching a living legend on, as far as the kickoff return is be right there and learning from him as well, you know, uh, during that time. Because obviously, you know, he, he, he has some things that some special talent back there as far as retirement that I could pick up. Um, and, and then, as far as the you know, this differs from the CFL game. And to me, man, I've said this from day one, even when I had to adjust to the Canadian football uh, game. It's, it's just football to me, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's football. So every, man, I tell people that I believe CFL has been around probably longer than the NFL, right? So yeah. there's some changes as far as the, where the goalposts are, right? So you say, why, why are the goalposts in the back? Well, that, the, the, the the goalpost has been in the front longer than it's been in the back, right? If I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. right? So, yeah, man. So it, it's just, it's just the game of football, man. You have to adjust to it, and you know, at the end of the day, you put, in, you, you, you have to snap the ball and try to get to the end zone and try to keep the other team. Up. Um, from getting into the end zone, so <laughs> same and, thing to me. Yeah, and man, your your brother was a pretty good football player too. Your younger brother Aaron, he spent some time in NFL Europe too. Was it the Hamburg uh, Hamburg Sea Devils? And then he obviously with the BC Lions, he was Rookie of the Year, and then he was 2006 Great Cup champion. What's Aaron up to these days? How's he doing? 
Yeah, so so my brother was drafted by the Broncos that yep. year. This happened, you know, kind of went around the league and, and eventually came up to the to the CFL um, and had a really good career up there. I actually won the Grey Cup before me. I get to clown yeah. with him sometimes because you know when the when, year before when we won the Grey Cup and <laughs> right when we won the Grey Cup in two thousand seven, and I got the uh, the Grey Cup actually in my hands. You know, my brother and and my names um, are pretty 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 close on that on that Grey Cup, right? Yeah. Like our names almost next to each other on I mean, there, right? Because they won in 2006, and we won in 2007. And I think my name is really close to the left, and his is really close to the right. So we're really close to each other on there, right? So uh, that that was a. Uh, I was actually at that Grey Cup game yeah. in 2006. Dave Dickinson and Aaron Hunt's Lions beat Anthony Calvillo and the Alouettes in Winnipeg. And I don't think I've ever been colder in my life, man. Like, my toes are still on thawing. Man. It was br- Were you at that, I was game, at too? that game, too? Oh, yes. man. I, I was at that game. My mom, <laughs> I, 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 my mom went with me. I, I actually, KK. Uh, Ken Keith was with me. He went up there with me. He was with me at that game. That was one of the coldest experiences I ever had in my life. I don't know if I've ever played and if we've ever played in weather that cold. I remember it being so cold in that game. It was it was bad, man. In the middle middle of the first quarter, I had regrets driving from Regina to Winnipeg to be at that game. Like, why am I here right now? But uh, I'm with Reggie Hunt on the Western Pizza Hotline, Riders legend. So uh, what does life after football uh, look like for you, Reggie? Were the first few years out of football kind of the most difficult as far as like missing missing the game and such? Man, it's, it's always a tough thing for football players yeah. when you grow up and this is what you've been doing for, you know, since your childhood and all of a sudden it comes to an end. It's always tough for anybody, right? And it's, it could be for, for, for anything. If, if uh, the dancer's been dancing their whole life and all of a sudden they couldn't dance anymore, it would be tough for them too. So it's always an adjustment, right? And not every football player know exactly what they're going to do when they're down with football. Um Fortunately, um, I somewhat did. I knew that I had to come back to TCU to finish up my degree, which is the first thing I did. I, as soon as I touched back home in Texas, uh, pretty much went back to the campus of uh, TCU, finished up my degree, and then I started nice. uh, teaching and uh, being a football coach, secondary football coach for about five years. Um, and then I decided to change my career a couple of times after that. I became a financial advisor. And then, uh, and now I, I've opened up my own business and I uh, train athletes uh, uh, of all of all kinds of in my program. So that's, that's awesome, man. That's awesome. Do you still keep up with the Canadian Football League? It's kind of like more easier than ever now with uh, with it being on ESPN two sometimes, ESPN man. Plus online. Do you still keep up with the riders? These guys have it so good, man, to be on TV and ESPN sometimes down here. You know, we used, we used to fight that battle all the time when we lived there. Yeah. Um, man, we need some TV, uh, some games played down in the U.S. But now they get that, and I'm fortunate that I, I get to watch some of the games sometimes. I don't get a chance to watch all of them, but yeah. some of them for sure. You know, and I got a chance to check, uh, catch up with uh, Jeremy O'Day here recently, last couple of months ago uh, when they came down. Uh, to a camp and to a camp down here, caught up with him. So um, I get a little bit. I get a little bit. I talk to my my uh, my good friend West Cape still. Yeah. Right, I still uh, 
across the way. Matt Dominguez is right up the street for me. Kitten Keys, you know, I still stay in touch with him, man. So, you know, um, it was great. Just recently, I think Matt Dominguez moved uh, back down to his home state of Texas. You said you guys live relatively close to each other. You guys hang out and stuff. Yeah, we do, we we do. We're right up the the road from me. Nice, uh, man. about twenty twenty thirty minutes away from me. Okay, um, so yeah, we get a chance to watch watching football games sometimes. Our kids compete compete with each other against each other. Uh, we've done some coaching together. Yeah, we hang out. We hang out some times for sure. That's, that's awesome, my, that's man. That's, that's awesome. Well, I'll tell you what. I still have my Reggie Hunt number nine jersey in in my closet. Yeah, I love it. And, and uh, I'll tell you another thing. It. Growing up uh, as a kid, there, you wore that dark visor, and you stole the hearts of a lot of young. RMF football players across Regina because uh, there was a lot of players on our team that always wanted to wear the dark visor to be like Reggie Hunt. <laughs> and so you kind of like set things in motion when it came to that, man, the the Reaper. So yeah. I, I appreciate uh, your time today. Thanks for joining me on the Western Pizza Hotline, man, and take care. And you take care, too. This Day in Sports History, brought to you by Capital Ford Lincoln on the corner of Rochdale and Pasqua, February 22nd, 1980. In Lake Placid, the miracle on ice takes place as the American hockey team beats the heavily favored Soviet Union 4-3. They would go on to win the gold medal after a 4-2 win over Finland. Sports Cage is your locker room pass. We're talking riders on Saskatchewan Sports Radio, 620 CKRM. Brennan McGuire and Sean Kleising are filling in for Michael Ball on this Wednesday edition of the Sports Cage. On tomorrow's program, we will go to Kamloops and the Scotty's Tournament of Hearts and hear from TSN's Brian Mudrick. Also, uh, Bob Stoff from the Edmonton Oilers Radio Network will join us on Thursday's edition of the program as well. We're hoping that Michael Ball will be back on Friday. Fingers crossed that we don't get any flight hiccups. I have zero confidence in uh, the flight system with all the stories that we've been hearing. And um, luckily for me, I have no plans with a young daughter at home to travel anywhere. But by 2030... Those airlines better get their crap together, Sean. I'm, I'm traveling somewhere in two weeks, and I have a young son at home. Does that make me a bad parrot, Mr. Brennan McGuire? Is that what you're saying to me no, here it, on this Wednesday, huh? No, it does not. Right. I think it's more just the fear of all, right. all the crap that's going on in the world. Hey, at least Sunwing's like out of the equation. I know Sunwing was giving some people headaches. So at least you don't have any false expectations. You know they're not going to get you anywhere. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to read the tweet that came out from McLeod Bethel Thompson. Quote, my next journey begins with the New Orleans Breakers of the USFL and will then continue with considerable NFL interest this fall. I do not want this decision to be in any way seen as a dismissal of the CFL. End quote from McLeod Bethel Thompson. Uh, I don't know. You know, l- l- listen, I'm all for these other leagues. I'm, I'm fine with it. I think the more content we have, the better. That said, it's not a good look when your leading passer is choosing some no-name league like this. And and this is not a death knell for McLeod Bethel-Thompson playing in the Canadian Football League. I'm not convinced we've seen the last of him playing in the CFL. 
Nah, I think I think I think the chapter, I think the book might be closed. In my humble opinion, I think it's closed, man. It's closed. But you gotta you gotta love the fight in that dog. Oh yeah, to, he is a dog. There's to, no doubt. You know, Great Cup Week. I asked him. I said, "Are you the junkyard dog of the Canadian Football League?" You know, because he's played with I think it's eleven different teams before he ended up in Regina. And he says, "See, now you're calling me names." He says, "Everybody's doubting me." Mm. And I said, "Look up Jerome Williams. You'll know what I'm talking about." <laughs> so he said he would do that, and I don't know that he ever did. Probably not. But um, yeah. I, I actually think it's a tribute to him the mm. fact that he is so unique. And and I I would be so thrilled to see him come back. Now the other question is, are the Argos in good enough hands with Chad Kelly? No, well, they're about to find out. They could do maybe a bit of a BC Lions approach this year. Those Toronto Argonauts pay a quarterback minimum money like they did with Nathan Rourke last year. Because correct me if I'm wrong, but Chad Kelly he's under contract. He's on a tr- rookie entry level salary. Yeah, with the well, Toronto not rookie, Argonauts. but second year. Yeah, century, so he's going to be salary. making like whatever eighty grand, whatever. Yep. So. I mean, the Argos, they could build a pretty good team around uh, Chad Kelly. Maybe, who knows, they'll be in the Grey Cup again and the Hammer in November against the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Makes a pretty big difference, though, when from being expected to come in and bail a team out in the fourth quarter of a championship game, which he did masterfully. That's one thing. Leading a team through an 18-game schedule in playoffs is completely another. Yeah, And there have been legitimate questions raised about this kid's maturity based on how it ended for him in the National Football League and some of his issues that popped up in college. Valid and, concerns. Well, and, and the um, I, I saw Ryan Dinwiddie making comments that he could help them sell the game in Toronto, where he suggested because of the connection to his uncle Jim. I have a really hard time. The people in Toronto didn't want to come see the Buffalo Bills when they played the game. I went to a Bill. I was more excited to see the Bills in Toronto than people in Toronto were. Yeah, I don't think anyone was really excited to see who is their quarterback, Trent Edwards. Or, Trent Edwards. Or, or, I have a Trent J. Edwards jersey J. at home. J.P. Lossman, yeah. maybe. Yeah, I don't, think anyone's, I don't think anyone's excited to, to watch that. But I was kind of thinking to myself... Who's to say that McLeod Bethel-Thompson would even come back to the CFL if the USFL wasn't a thing? Because clearly the biggest thing for him is to be around his family. So even if the USFL wasn't a thing, he might he might not just he might have just retired. Who like it's not a given that he was going to come back to Canada because his big thing is to be around home, right? So and, and and you have to give him a lot of credit. You can't knock a guy for wanting to do that. I still think the artist. That is, McLeod Bethel Thompson still has a portrait or two that he wants to write. And I just don't see how that doesn't include Canada. Hmm. I just have a feeling. Maybe it's just a gut. Maybe it's just a a gut feeling or a hunch. Um, I just, I don't know that he wouldn't come back. Like he says, the only team he'd play with would be the Argos. Well, people talk. People can talk. Anybody can reach out to his agent. And he just seems like such a fascinating soul I could see him changing his mind if another team stepped up. And I know it's not about the money, but if somebody stepped up with a unique sell job, I don't know what that sell job is, I think he could be talked out of retirement and coming back to the Canadian Football League because um, the movie writer inside of him, and maybe I shouldn't 
maybe that's not a fair analogy because it's his wife who's the movie writer, not him. Uh, I think there's still a sequel left for McLeod Bethel Thompson, and I think that includes North of the Border. Hoping to have Regina Pats head coach GM John Paddock on tomorrow's episode of the Sports Cage. Big Pats game tonight, 635 pregame show with Dante the Carrier taking on the Medicine at Tagus. Under the orange top, a critical two points on the line for the The Pats tonight. But before that, Zinger at Night is next. Today's sports cage has come to a close. Miss a segment? Download or stream the podcast now at sportscage.ca. Get your sports straight from the source. 620 CKRM.